He was an intellectual who advocated action. He was a rebel who fought for tradition. He was an artist who shocked the world. Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas present a new film by Paul Schrader. Mishima. His writing shook the soul. His flamboyance captivated a generation. His vision challenged the conscience of his time. And on November 25th, 1970, his life became the ultimate expression of his art. Mishima. Goddamn right. <laughs> Mishima. Um, very, very 80s, I think, like action movie trailer to that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which okay. is amazing considering the, the lack of parkour in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't he, par a... he parkours up the barrack walls, you know what I mean? At the end of it, he's like there was an alarming lack of parkour at Mishima. Yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza episode 67, Mishima. Um I am here joined by, uh, you know, J. Andrew, uh, Ukraine world. Um, you know, he's, he's in, he's in solidarity this week, uh, illustrator, uh, artist, um, you know, he's usually the whole world, but today he's, uh, he's just focused on solidarity with Ukraine. How's it going? Konnichiwa. Um, oh, uh, wait, Ukraine or Japan? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm all wrapped up for Japan. I've been practicing saying, you know, forest son, Conan son, Erikako. Um, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm like on the ball here, you know, you should and, change and, your, you should change your name to Jandra Weeb. I think that that would be a way funnier name for you right now. <laughs> um, also joined by protonic reversal and Conan Neutron and the secret friends, uh, front man Conan Neutron. How's it going? You're the one that suggested this movie. I should have made you lead the episode, I guess. But uh... I, I, yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, like, uh, yeah, I'm stoked to be talking about this. This this was a somewhat recent-ish discovery off of uh, the Criterion Challenge, and it blew me away. Like, it blew me away so much I was like, wow, I wish anyone else I knew knew about this movie so I could talk about it with them. And here we are, a true success story. Uh, I, I, I can't – it's so hard to describe. that. And I think if you, like, try to describe it to people, you're like – that sounds terrible and it's actually <laughs> badass and that's that's what makes it so great uh not the least of which is as heard in that trailer the incredible philip glass score which i'm sure we'll get into it's um i mean it, it's a biopic right and as soon as you say something is a biopic, like, ah! yeah you, people automatically are like dude another one and then, and then you throw in, this is this is a biopic of a japanese writer and like Three of them. Japanese, like the most famous Japanese writer of the post-war period, and three of his novels are used as the the central like uh, crux of the movie. And like, yeah, so that does not that sounds sound, pretentious. Yeah, that does not do saying. justice. It, what and this it's movie written by is. like Americans. Yeah, yeah. yeah and like, also 
And also All the right. guy's, uh, you know, arguably a fascist. So you got to throw oh, that part into it, too. Yeah, you're, really, you're really selling it. Yeah. <laughs> also joined by Erica Strout, a Georgia-based filmmaker, music video director, and musician. She's half the musical duo Dream Tent, plays guitar and sings Motherfucker, and the live band of Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. I think you have the longest bio of any regular guests that I've, that we've written for this. Yeah, let's maybe show. let's pair that down next time. <laughs> but, but it's you have to work to so hard. <laughs> say what? It's his one chance to say motherfucker. You know, he he's oh, got to say it. And, I don't want to take that yeah. away. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't take that away from him, would you? <laughs> you wouldn't download <laughs> you a car. Yeah. <laughs> Remember those ads? Yeah, like, those ads were uh, out of control. <laughs> Yeah, and it was all like inner cap to like the paper chase or like Limp Bizkit or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I want to start with uh, talking about the production design of this movie. Incredible, right? Incredible production design, and mm -hmm. you can see part of it like even behind us uh, in, in in the background. I use the um, the golden like the golden sun as they're standing up and they're all yeah. uh, getting ready to overthrow capitalism for the emperor, which. Guys, what the fuck? What the fuck? Why are you overthrowing capitalism in order to reinstall the emperor? That sucks. You're so close. You're so close. <laughs> yeah, you're so you're so close to getting it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's yeah, that, there's definitely that scene really depressed me when he stands in front of the, you know, they've taken Tokyo University and he's standing in front of them and he's like, What we want is not so different after all. And it's like, yeah. no, it is. You literally just want the same thing, but with the emperor back. They want uh, socialism of some kind. I mean, various kinds, but still like. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of like the moment of like, well, we want the reinstatement of the emperor. And they're like, boo, boo. And it's, it's like, wow, really tough crowd. Let me tell you. But it's like, yeah, like that's pretty different, bro. Like, like, why did you think they were going to leap to your side? Just because like you have some books that, that maybe some people like in there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of fascinating, too, because. He seems to think uh, he seems to treat it as capitalism on the right and then, you know, mm -hmm. liberals and socialism on the left. So he says, I'm standing up against both the left and the right. But like, no, you're like you're a fascist like that. That is he's, your policy. He's Jimmy Dore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm here as a kind of just the centrist guy. The the cent like centrism being uh, reinstating the emperor and it's like no, yeah, that's yeah. Not, that's not you know the thing is. the thing we all want boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you know. That's a great scene, though, because because at the time, like, uh, you know, unless you know his story and like know like his background as a person, you don't necessarily know that like that's like what he's like. It, it, it doesn't fit the framework of the scene that that's what he says. Like, it's, it seems like it's like, oh, this is going to be the moment where everybody comes together and hey, you're right. We all do want the same thing. Blah, blah. And, the, and it's like, oh, nope, that was the wrong thing to say right there. Like, even if you <laughs> even if that's the thing you actually want. Like and people today, like you know, proto-fascists, pseudo-fascists, whatever today would never obliquely say it. They would like use weasel language. They would use coded language, whatever. But like the fact that he says it, and then they like boo harder, and it's it's like wow, what a great scene. Like, well, I mean, it's it's essentially. I don't think he sees it that way, but you know, there's. So they were very much thinking about it in terms of post-war Japan, right? Like Japan yep. kind of being kicked into gear as a capitalist society. When before that it had been, I mean, it was an empire, but it was like a feudal empire in the sense that they kept that hierarchy in place. And he didn't even want that hierarchy, like the, the war order where it kind of was capitalism starting to grow around that. 
he wanted pre that he wanted like the feudal samurai order to return and he right. thought the only way the only way to bring japanese society back is not just nationalism in terms of like the way that we think about it where it's like you know oh like we're patriotic it's like no there's like going to be knights on the street like saving damsels <laughs> right exactly where, like while the rest it, of the world while the rest of the world delves deeper into like a neoliberal order you know as it was kind of going towards at that time like Japan would Japan would be like would have knights riding through the fucking thing, committing fucking seppuku when they like when they couldn't like rescue like the damsel in distress. Like it would be a fucking mess. And that guy's like, we all want the same thing. You guys want socialism? <laughs> that's I that's want what we all want, right? Realism. I mean, the only thing remotely close to that I can think of is like the sort of the fascination with cowboy culture amongst the right. Like, no, you want it literally to be like you know people doing shootouts in the streets and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's the only corollary. And that I, that I really historic think stuff, but like like the John Wayne movie version. Yeah, yeah, but with like, uh, yeah, like uh, mm. the the Punisher skull with like the the cop colors on it, right? Instead of uh, you know being historical, set. but like that's the only because it's crazy. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody is looking for that. And this guy, who's clearly a very intelligent person, clearly like no dummy, and had had his ethos. But like, not a stupid person. It's one of the things that makes him so fascinating. Because like, how did you get to that? Why is that the thing, right? And but it does a good job of explaining why. Even if you're like, I don't agree with any part of that. Like, <laughs> respect. Um, I mean, it doesn't really get touched on in the movie. But I have these clips of Paul Schrader talking about him as a character, like as a person. And well, let, let's. Say, I, I'm, I'm totally. Do I'm totally dominating this. Like Erica, Andy, if you guys want to yeah. jump into that too, just before we, if this, since I know this is gonna be a long clip, so. I, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you. This is the uh, one part of Japanese history I haven't really uh, studied that much in depth. You know, you want to go into the Edo period? Like, I'm your man. Um, yeah. You know, but... but uh, Andy's uh, trying to bring back the... the and Andy actually did agree with, with uh, Mishima. The like, yeah, movie. actually. <laughs> I really like Kurosawa movies. Let's bring back yeah, the would, 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 Ro <laughs> would Romine Ronins say that five times fast? Be such a bad thing. Yeah, I Frank Miller. This is the kind of stuff I'm into. Which, by the way, we should say our uh, "This Is Revolution" episode that we're um, doing on uh, on on Wednesday is going to be a Kurosawa movie. So this is two different, you know, very very different uh, moments, I guess, or or thought process. I think in in Japanese history um, that we're doing in a row. But um, nice. but yeah, uh, Erica, you have Erica, any thoughts Erica. On, on all this? Yeah, I just. Um... So, well, I know we're going to cover in more depth as we go on, but I guess my, my initial thought is um, that my mind is sort of blown. Like I knew, I didn't, I knew nothing about this guy before we watched this movie, before I was invited on here. And um, which by the way, I'm happy to be here with you guys again. Um, but I was, so I was like 11 like, minutes to say it. <laughs> uh, not a moment too soon. Um, but so I, I started watching it and then I had to, I had to pause it for a while, but, but in between when, before I got back to it, I started looking it up and, and reading up about this guy. And I had a hard time, like kind of discerning between like what was actually, what actually happened in his life and what was part of his art. And like, um, so it blurs the lines, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Much like the famous but, song blurred lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring I was gonna, that up. I was right gonna now. say interestingly. <laughs> I was gonna say interestingly, um, a figure that makes like his life that much a part of his art is fucking Kanye. Like, but but you know, far less, a far less. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Let's, Let's not Come on, man. <laughs> Stick with the bet. 
Oh yeah, blurred lines is Robin Thicke. That's true. Yeah, but, but no, but I was like, thinking in my head like like when when, when like I, a modern like, parallel. To it's hard to tell how much of it is it. art and how much how much of it is yeah. art and how much of it is his actual life. And I was thinking like, oh fuck, kind of like Kanye in some fucking weird way. But that's kind yeah. of the point. That's what Trader kind of does with the movie, right? Like, and that's kind of what makes it cool is because it does blend those things together. Like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is one of his stories, but then also like yeah. this. Actually yeah, like I had to look up the plots of the the different books that he had incorporated into the movie to like kind of grab my brain around it but just the my mind is blown at the level of just um just blind con like it's beyond confidence it's like this guy was so self-important and and like yeah he was smart yeah he was super artistic obviously very prolific like not that he doesn't deserve credit for the art that he created, like all those books and everything. Like he clearly had a lot of talent, but like un unreal levels of like self-importance within this, where he created his own army. Like what is that? Yeah, yeah. Like, NBD, you know, my personal and, army. Yeah. Like, and I know they didn't, they didn't like carry weapons or whatever, but still it was like, I just, it was, it's, I mean, I'm hesitating to use a certain word about it, but just, I'm, I'm still wrapping my brain around it. Is all that's all. Well, that's my um, I mean, a part, <laughs> part of that is also yeah. a part of that is also the mixture between I think, um, and and this gets like this gets into what uh, Paul Schrader ends up saying about it. But um, like, there's kind of a mixture between uh, hierarchy, which I think the Japanese system in general get getting kind of thrown into this gear straight from being like an empire that had like literally still like a, a sun emperor that was you know what I mean like one of the few places left that kind of had that kind of feudal system left and uh mm -hmm. you know that hierarchy and and the deep humiliation that you know Japanese people felt after getting uh crushed in a world war ii kind of fused together in in this moment mm -hmm. uh to kind of allow somebody like Mishimada to like you know that was well respected nobody really wanted to say hey maybe don't do that because that's like the, one, the most <laughs> prolific writer they have at this period. You know what I mean? Like they don't want further mm -hmm. humiliation by being like, no, the, the one writer we have is kind of a nut job. And maybe we should like not, not let that guy have an army. Like they're kind of a lot more deferential, I think, to that figure than, yeah. you know, like in, in the West, they would have been maybe yeah, like it's, somebody it's like that. It's a bit of uh, uh, yeah. Confucianism, which, which uh, you know, did have a, a small importance, <clears throat> excuse me, smaller importance in uh, Japan than it did say in China. Uh, where it originated, because um, th this is uh, the the focus of Confucianism is like uh, your 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 place in society, your place in family, and like your your place in the hierarchy, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of hierarchical uh, stuff with that, which is why like governments tend to kind of focus on that, and and you see that kind of um, uh, reflected like uh, in other philosophies that that. Uh, um, you know, came up around the same time, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, Taoism, you know, seems to like coexist with a lot of other beliefs too. Uh, so, yeah. so you kind of see that in, um, the, 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 uh, oh, what's the phrase, I'm, oh, the word I'm looking for, like the, 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 um, the fluidness of, of, uh, the beliefs and like how they can kind of, uh, transfer as, uh, you know, society around it changes because, you know, a, a neoliberal capitalist society is very different than say a feudal society. Oh, not really, but but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that kind but, of but, society, yeah. like uh, yeah, yeah. But but there's there's a certain kind of translation of that kind of hierarchy in both of those where where uh, that that type of uh, belief would, would uh, kind of come in handy. 
and and there was a very popular trend and um you know uh talking to paul schrader about it um dick cavett kind of references this there's a, there's a huge trend about like oh you know japanese capitalism is a little bit different people need to be treated differently within that system so there's all these books like how to do business with the japanese that kind of circulated around this time and like i remember mm. watching uh mad men they have the thing where they they pitch to uh i oh, can't yeah. remember if it, i think it's Honda. Yeah. like they, they pitch the motorcycle design or something and uh like yes um Bert Cooper's reading the how to do business with the Japanese book and like, you know, the, 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 uh, sword and the chrysanthemum or whatever, like all those books that are like, this is how mm -hmm. we translate this style of kind of more, I think, formalized capitalism, like within a, that social order to like a, a Western audience who now we all have to do business together where we all are going to do business together because it's mm -hmm. like a globalized order. And, you know, this society that was feudal has realized that the only way to kind of, um, compete in the marketplace, I guess, is to grind itself up to like, you know, 10th gear and i think and i think you know i mean even when you look at like lifespans and stuff like japanese have very high lifespans like you know like so mm -hmm. i don't think they they really had to kick that up the same way that like in russia or something where lifespans dropped dramatically in the 90s when they tried to do that like really fast transition uh even even like china that really fast transition to capitalism that didn't really happen in japan but like at the same time it is a complete shift in the way that you know um these uh economic processes i think are treated but yeah. this is uh this is this is the clip I wanted to play about production design, and this is the woman that did the production design for this, talking about how this is the first movie that she ever actually was hired as a production designer on. Real quickly, just a second. Uh, this is also a year before Gung Ho, which came out uh, 1986, ah, okay. uh, which kind of touches a lot on that whole uh, Japanese versus American way of doing business, which which is basically how it was characterized to a lot of folks in the states. Too. This is like that. That was the whole like you know America by American, which is like yeah American, you know it's a Marianas Islands, you know made by child labor, but yeah it's still American counts to territory. <laughs> and that was Trump. I mean, when Trump first started doing media appearances on Oprah yeah. and all those places where he kind of delved his foot into politics, it was like the Japanese they're really killing us. They're killing us. We need to get back to an American economy again. And yeah, yeah. Mm. マスコミに現れる三島由紀夫っていうのがすごく人間として嫌でしたね。っていうふうにお話したんですよね。だから一番最初にですね、友達が私の名前をポール・シュレーダーに推薦してくれたようなんですよ。その時ちょうどですね、あのニューヨークのパブリッシャーから私の一冊目の作品集でエコバイエコという本が出たばっかりで、で、ポールは
まあ技術的にですね私にはやっぱりプロの技術が備わってなかったわけだから。そうよほど勇気がなければねアマチュアに近い栄光を起用するっていうことは普通はやらないと思うんですよねでもそ,のそういう意味でポールっていうのはすごい、まあ、ブレイブな人であると思うしもうその自分が、えー、表現を考える時に、まあ、3つのなんていうか考え方にこだわるわけです。でまあ、そのこだわりは時によって意味がなく思う方も多いかもしれないんだけれどもね私のまあ性格的なものかもしれないけれどもやはりオリジナリティはなければいけないそれからタイムレスでなければいけないで、まあ、レボリューショナリーというものがなければいけないでこ,っちこれの3つがまあ自分のキーワードでですね自分が表現を考えるときに必ずその3つが備わっているかどうかっていうことを考えながら作ってきたわけですね。で私がまあポールに、まあ、直感的にこれは違うというふうに思ったのでこれではなくですね例えばその小説の部分を完全にあのシアターのようなセットにする。そして劇中劇のような作り方にする。そういう考え方はどうですかと。で、シュレーダーに提案したわけですね。結局、私がその小説の部分を相当大胆なアイディアにでやろうと提案し、しかもポールとジョンがそれで OK、コングラチュレーションって言われた時点から、小説の部分のプロダクションデザインの、まあ、セットデザインのウェイトがものすごく大きくなってきたわけですね。まあ、大変な仕事になってきたわけです。新しいビジュアルコンセプトを出すということに関してはもちろん自信があったけれどもそれをどうやってリアライズしたらいいかどうやって映画という世界にそれを持ち込んだらいいかっていう具体的な方法も分かってなかったわけです。でそれをそのシュレーダーにまあ話したらそれはもう全く問題ないと。つまりそういうあの映画の世界のプロフェッショナルなアソシエートデザイナーっていうのは僕が探してあげるからその人があなたの新しいコンセプトをリアライズすればいいのだからあなたはもう自由に発想すればいいというふうに言ってくれたんですよね。それまでにあの竹中和夫さんという日本のベテランの、まあ、アソシエートデザイナーを私につけてくださって。竹中さんと話し合ってどういうふうにやっていこうかということになったんですがあの竹中さんからの提案でねじゃあ,あの石岡さんはもうその小説の部分のユニークなあーセット作りにもう専念してみたらどうですかとで僕は1と2の部分を徹底的にやってそれをあなたにチェックしてもらって。で一緒にまあ考え方を結論を出してそっちを進めますから竹中さんが最初の,その三島が最後に自害する一日という設定それはもうほとんどロケーションでやりましたそれから2番目の、えー、と幼年時代から、えー、成長するまでの彼のバイオグラフィー的なブラックホワイトの世界これも竹中さんはほとんどリサーチをやってもらって彼に中心になってやってもらおうと考えたわけです。
Nice. I mean, wow. Better than nice, badass. I mean, the, yeah. What a, Jesus. Yeah, I, I was very different. Yeah. I was expecting like the person to come on being something like a Quentin Tarantino type personality, being like, "Yeah, you see, I saw all the, I saw Tokyo Drifter, <laughs> and I said that's the movie I want it to look like." So I, I made, said, you know, give me that VHS tape right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, all... if you have seen Tokyo Drifter, I, I'm sorry, Erica. Um, oh, no, I didn't mean to talk over you. Uh, but but uh, uh, if you have seen Tokyo Drifter. There's a, a, a there's aesthetic similarity between the two films. Good job um, working. Good job working that in. I knew. I knew you were. Congratulations. Twenty four <laughs> hey, minutes. I you can he work in Stargate up. somehow? <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. But, uh, no, T Tokyo Drifter is is a gorgeous, uh, weird action movie that that influenced comic books in the seventies and eighties, but also yeah. was a musical. And I cannot even begin to explain like. like this movie on paper shouldn't work, but it's actually really kind of just a fascinating watch, and it is so visually impressive. Um, you know, much like Mishima, Life in Four yes. Parts, which we're discussing tonight. But, I just but, realized uh, how hard it's going to be for anybody, by the way, who's, who's listening to this as an audio version rather than a, a video <laughs> thing to to make talk it about that. the visual. Yeah, horse is going to like badly read the uh, the subtitles for the audio version. <laughs> oh, like uh, when when you you have to turn on for um, like if you're sightless. Right, and it, it describes what you're seeing. The woman goes to the sink and pours a glass of water. Like, have you ever? Have you guys ever? Yeah, checked that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've, I've. No, I have a close captioning on a lot because I am half deaf. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is the I'm other. Not yeah. Quite the same. This is the. This is the other way. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Erica, you were gonna say like something. Like the kids see something. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Um, good on, good on Paul Schrader for taking a chance on her being inexperienced in production design although clearly a very talented artist already but like yeah. every and i remember while i was watching it like those scenes the the book scenes i was like this feels like a set on a stage like they very much feel like like all of her ideas like very well translated um visually speaking like i she absolutely nailed it and it, and it ends up being like a, a actually really fascinating um, choice because like uh, of her as the production designer, because they end up relying on her a lot for the research um, when they're mm -hmm. writing the script. Cause obviously it's like, you know, white guys from America, like writing the script um, for this movie. So like yeah. a lot of the, well, so on, on that, if I may yeah. force real Although... quick, I was thinking about it right before, Oh, sorry. Right before we're talking about the production design, probably the closest analog would be Hemingway. And even then it's not totally accurate. Cause like imagine Hemingway, but like Stephen King's reach. Like is probably the best way to put it. Like Hemingway vibes, but like Stephen King reach. Go ahead. Uh, for 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 Mishima's work, you mean? I so yeah yeah like like his cultural like, cachet in Japan. Yeah, yeah. It was like that level. Everybody like everybody. Mishima, of course. You know, as opposed. I mean, to it's, like, it's also. Who? I think that I think, who? and they touch on this within the movie itself, um, briefly. But you know, over time, right? He mm -hmm. becomes more famous in Japan. He gets an international reach, and I think that that um, if if he was just a Japanese writer. And he was only writing for Japanese audiences, which was most writers at that time, right? Like, I think it's been translated. A lot of other stuff has been translated since then. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we kind of have a, a very, um, we have a Japanese obsession in this generation. But at this time, they didn't, right? Like, it was in the post-war period. So his work mm -hmm. gets translated um, to an international audience. He's one of the few Japanese writers that does. 
So it's not just that they're yeah. um, celebrating someone who's celebrated on their stage. The French are celebrating him. The American, you know, American reading audiences are celebrating him. So it's this figure that kind of transcends nations that they're kind of dealing with being this very bipolar schizophrenic character at the same time um, and not wanting everybody else in the, in the, you know, internationally. I mean, I don't know how much about that they knew, but like, um, you know, uh, Paul Schrader talks about it with like after doing the research in this, like he kind of probably had some form of schizophrenia um and and the fact that you know he was like yeah. this internationally renowned uh author when there wasn't really any other ones in japan kind of made it so that any embarrassment that they felt uh through him was like a national shame yeah that makes sense and i don't think we've ever had that because we kind of have a lot of openly schizophrenic and, and bipolar right <laughs> yeah, yeah. but we have no theory. national shame whatsoever yeah right? oh yeah that's yeah, <laughs> You're the most I mean, we country. should. I can't think of a time for America, though, when when we would have had one person who could have been that kind of representative to you the really whole have... world for us. Like we've we've kind of been pretty dominant. Uh, yeah, dominant. we really have to go back yeah. to like before the Civil War to, to, to see that, because like um, mm. if you if you uh, I, I happen to live for a while near where Herman Melville used to live. Um, the, the, the cliffs okay. on, on the mountain, uh, next, you know, where, where my, uh, sister finished up high school, um, uh, was as the, they're known as everybody, the cliffs of the mountain, uh, yeah. were inspiration the, the cliffs in the mountain for, where for uh, Moby Dick. So, uh, gotcha. which is weird, uh, you to think about that, but, but anyways, um, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, like, like Herman Melville was kind of that first, uh, great writer that came out of America because at that point in time, we were considered like culturally inferior to Europe. And we were heavily judged. And so if you look at like press of the Civil War too, like like they're just like, oh, these children are just fighting amongst themselves. You know, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. and, and, and like their takes were just just awful, you know. Yeah. Uh, we I hadn't thought about it that way. That, uh, because we, you know, uh, our education system is so America-centered. You know, we're not going to actually see, you know, yeah. get into. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kitty. Maybe that's yeah, I why know. I have that perception too is because. Yeah. Yeah, but you do have to, you know, it did exist. It's just like yeah, nobody was alive. You know, not not yeah. anybody <laughs> would know its lifetime really. Yeah. How does, we weren't how laughing does, at you, does, Andy. How does the cat yeah, feel about the how does the cat feel about Mishima? <laughs> Icky, please vent your thoughts about this Icky. Criterion Collection movie. <laughs> wow, he has so much to say. Can you tell him to shut up? I know. <laughs> He's a perfect guest. He's a perfect guest. He never says anything. He just comes in and looks good. <laughs> That's what I used to do. No, Aww. but I, I think also there's a you know there's a switch that happens, right? And I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of like Russia and Ukraine and everything going on throughout the world right now. Like, the, oh, the, something going on in Ukraine? I hadn't heard. <laughs> the uh, no, but like the concept of building a national identity, right? That happens over a certain amount of time. When things switch completely for a country, it, it kind of is up for grabs. Who gets to build that national identity again? Yeah. And uh, the easiest way to kind of have a, a nationalistic fervor happen is the sense that like, oh, the best times are behind us. We need to get back to this uh, very Ronin-centered, like, um, uh, you know, samurai society. Or we need to get back to, you know, like, like there's there's a million different possibilities. I mean, I was watching um, Adam Curtis. Uh, the can't get you out you? of my head. No, <laughs> no, I was watching that recently, and th they talk about how kind of both, um, you know, both the KKK and uh, you know, like like society in in Britain as both societies kind of 
uh, went into turmoil after the war, the cohesive national identity, like those, like that, that kind of almost like feudal society got reborn as a, um, as like, you know, a, a thought point for people. So like it, thinking about this guy specifically and, you know, in Japanese society kind of going into this incredibly high gear on the world, on the world stage, you know, now being a kind of a capitalist economy, he always downplayed the political implications of all of his work. Like he would go and he knew to do right. that. Like he would go in front of cameras and they'd say, Oh, like, cause they knew like there's something political about this. Like, can you explain that? And he'd be like, Oh no, it's not political. There's nothing political about it. And like, so it's kind of a fast. I just want to return to, to traditional values. That's it. <laughs> Make Japan great right again. Like, so that's what uh, I want to say. I, they I invited wanna... the CPAC and everything, you know? Like. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's important to be wary of anyone who wants to go back to a pastime. Yeah, well, but it, I mean, but also there's kind of a national feeling, right? Like, sorry, I'll let, I'll let you say something after this. Like, there's a national feeling that things are going wrong. And, you know, if you mm -hmm. have centuries of history built around these uh, hierarchical concepts, and then all of a sudden the hierarchy completely changes, um, yeah. uh, the whole society kind of feels like there's something going wrong. And yeah. what someone could say, well, what's going wrong is these changes are happening too fast. All of a sudden people that's are uncomfortable. like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, like yeah. maybe that's why I'm uncomfortable. So it yeah. resonates with people. And then, you know, people end up doing things mm -hmm. like joining the guy's private militia and <laughs> listening to whatever he says that week. In retrospect, <laughs> not the best idea. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just going to say that or voting some, for Trump. <laughs> there's yeah. some corollaries like with Mother Custers in that way. Like think of like a post World War II Germany in that same way and rebuilding its identity and having to take, you know, uh, take a stock morally of, of where it was. Now it's different with Japan because Japan is more like to uh, colloquially, I believe the expression is have your dick kicked in the dirt a uh, little. Uh, and I think that that had a lot to do with this, the rise of like this uh, Mishima, um, like getting back to machismo and getting more to like, oh, we're dudes who like, you know, work out and we're guys like, being dudes over here. <laughs> we're, we're a bunch of dudes that are in here with another bunch of sweaty dudes all working out at the same time. And like, there's nothing like remotely homoerotic about any piece of this. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and like, whatever, no, no harm, no foul to the gym. Don't get me wrong. But like, but it's just, it's, I think that that's key towards being like, well, who are we? You know, yeah. who are we to be laid low in this way? And, and what is the path back? And he was a prominent voice, whether you agreed with his suppositions or what his stories were imparting. Sure. Accidentally or on purpose. Yeah. Accidentally. Uh, it was an important part of figuring out identity as a nation, including being like, yeah, we're not that. That's not it. Yeah, <laughs> which is almost just as important for some folks, and that like led to, I mean, like whatever. It's we can talk like a history and and that and watching more, watching but. that watching that clip perfectly kind of imparts that right. Like national identity yeah. is not is not a, a one thing, and to see somebody who you know was working um, presumably first in Japan, but then you know working in the United States because um, she went on to have like an illustrious and still is alive. So I'm not saying she went on in past tense, but like she went on to do like Coppola movies. They all kind of, she was part of that whole American. You're, you're talking stuff. about, uh, you're talking about the, the set designer now. You're talking yeah. About the, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. Well, she, that, no, by she, the way, we mentioned in the chat, nobody could hear it, but like that apocalypse now poster for those that are like, maybe listen to the audio version. Badass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, so and, it, and, it gets, and it kind of gets into something that we talked about. Um, at least, you know, three out of four of us talked about on uh, on on when we did the conversation, right? With uh, 
where where we talked about um coppola kind of creating american zoetrope and like this kind of uh this incredibly like you know the hollywood system breaking down and you know they kind of kept their i think group very close to the vest it was always people they had worked with before people whose work that they already knew that they respected not anyone from the unions. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, that was it. <laughs> was way more key than I expected before. I was like, I was like, really? I didn't realize there was that much. Sort of like, oh yeah, fuck the unions. Oh. <laughs> no, so so having her having her kind of brought in, right? She ends up doing a lot of these movies um, as the production designer because once she's done this movie, they're like, oh no, we know that this is someone who can handle this. This is another fucking creative powerhouse. So it's interesting on that level, but also to have her say like. No, I, I didn't like Mishima. Like, that was somebody that I found distasteful. And it's the same way that, like, you know, a lot of younger, a lot of younger people in America or a lot of, you know, um, I mean, pretty much all, all women that aren't, like, suburban white women are like, no, I found Trump distasteful. You can look at it, like, that same way. Like, that person went on TV. They were constantly talking about, like, this old way of life. I found that crass. I didn't like that person. So, in the same but, way. With the distinction that Trump never actually creates anything. He like creates he, his name on all yeah, kinds of buildings. He, 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 he creates, creates press is what he does. Yeah, but like, <laughs> whereas, again, I'm just going to draw the corollary because I, I want to be very clear. The Mishima actually has many creative works, whether one agrees with the contents or not. Whereas Trump's, even his freaking autobiography is ghostwritten. But anyway, yeah. That's yeah. probably a needless point for this audience, but you never know who's watching. So also I would say always be wary of like um, you know, people that have done one form of art for a long time and suddenly become like multimedia, putting themselves in the middle of the spectacle kind of artists. Like uh, -oh. uh Mishima Mishima suddenly like gets involved in bodybuilding. No, but like gets involved in bodybuilding, and then all of a sudden yeah, he's like, yeah, Well, yeah. now I'm a photographer, look at this picture of my muscles, and then he yeah, makes yeah, like yeah. he makes a bunch of films with him at the center of it being a samurai, and one of them he commits seppuku like yeah. I don't know. I just I'd, I'd be wary of that kind of bringing you back to like the Kanye corollary, where you all know, of a sudden, me, like, you know, doing all these kind of illustrations, yeah. and now all of a sudden doing podcasting. No, see, that's just <laughs> a little bit of a different thing. I'm talking about like, like no, art. Exactly like, I would always same. watch out for what artists, <laughs> I would always watch out for what artists that put themselves in the center of their art that much uh, really yeah. are talking about. Like, it, I, I've it I've so fact matter. So the the, the more schizophrenia the, the, makes perfect sense. Yeah. The real common one is comedians being musicians and musicians being comedians or, or attempting to do so, I might add, which is to say that <laughs> as much as I, I, you know, I like, I, look, credit where credit's due. I'm quick. I'm like fairly clever, but like, I'm not a comedian. Like, and I would, I'm the first person to say that because that is a crap. Yeah, that's one. That's in one, the same, that's in the same way that jump, he did like 17. Yeah. Well, he was again. And like, <laughs> let's, let's be clear. We got like really bodybuilding. It's like, Hey everybody, let's go back to my house and I'll take pictures of everybody like flexed out. It's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, really not homoerotic at all, bro. But okay. He was you bisexual I mean? or homosexual? Because he had a wife and kids, right? I honestly, like, I really don't know. I'm not sure if it matters. Like, I'm not Paul sure Schrader, if it matters. Well, he does, definitely. I mean, Paul, he Schrader really seemed, um, Paul Schrader seemed to think homosexual. That was when, when he talks to uh, Dick Cavett. He's, they kind of talk about that part of it, but I don't know. It's kind of a. I mean, his ego seems more important than any other human being, frankly. But like he's like I would, I would say, there's a certain amount of fluidity, yeah. sexual fluidity, which is kind of makes yeah. it more interesting, frankly. Yeah. Like if he was just like a bro, that you know, like yeah. bro stuff, like they wouldn't be nearly as interesting of a character study. I think. Well, there's the com more complicated. I think I think the reason I'm curious about it and and the distinction between those two. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter. He was definitely interested in men. At the very least, he may have also been interested in women. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I think just, like, 
in that culture and especially at that time too, like being not straight, being not a cisgendered straight man, like I think I I can't help but wonder psychologically how he I mean I mean there, you could see the results of it, I guess, but how he like processed through that and either he processed you know, it through his own his own uh self, right? Like he processed it through the thought of like Oh, would this would this young virile man make a perfect soldier? And would I make a perfect soldier? And it seemed to be very, mm-hmm. like the, the way he processed it seemed very strange. It was both through his own body, like like oh, like I'm sleeping with this much younger man, and he seems more virile, and he looks in the mirror, and because he talks about homosexuality in this, like as a concept, mm-hmm. like he looks in the mirror, and 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 you know the guy sees beauty. He looked like, and then but then Mishima looks in the mirror, and he sees like you know frailty and and you know age and he's which is the one thing he's a total bigot about is age yeah like he's a complete ageist but it's the one is instantly like what does he say like if you're over 40 like you should kill yourself yeah like (laughs) (laughs) which is also also the culture that has the the like as i said with lifespan right like it's it's the culture that gets to be the oldest like the oldest people are, are generally japanese like or, or like Tibetan, I mean, before, you know, before China kind of st- like started starving them out, like it's, it's like um, the oldest, the oldest people come from that part of the world. So it's funny to have someone be like, no, if you're over 40, kill yourself. Like, dude, that's like most of the population right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you, you don't want have to buy your goddamn books. <laughs> what is it that he said? It was like, if you want your beauty to, to persist, then you have to kill yourself at, at the height of your beauty. Yeah. Yeah. And he thought that at 40, you, you've peaked at 40. So that's where you kill yourself. Which, but he was crazy. 45. Die young, you make record. a better corpse, I believe was the quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but but I think it, he said die young or, and, and leave a pretty corpse or whatever. But, but like oh, the yeah. his thing against Hemingway was that like that was a thing he dissed on for Hemingway at the time. And then like kind of did like similar-ish thing you know granted like it, it manifested very differently which i haven't even got into yet i'm excited to talk about but like yeah footage I, to show like <laughs> just worship worship of of youth and virility and sort of like been like well then your was it your essence is uh is uh diminished uh i forget the exact quote but like he, he has some has some you know, it's aphorism just, yeah, or something. Wrote, it's very it's very poetic but Everything he yeah. says is poetic, which is what makes you realize. Even when he's like just flat out, like like you're nuts, but it's like that's very beautifully said. But you're freaking bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, schizophrenia. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I would I would wonder if there's some soci- sociopathy in there too. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I mean, all those things kind of at some point, you know, in they some may cases overlap. Like, yeah. Yeah. But one one thing he says: even the most beautiful body is soon destroyed by age. Where is your beauty then? Only art makes human beauty endure. Uh, you must devise an artist scheme to preserve it. You must commit suicide at the height of your beauty. That was yeah. One I was like, yeah, cool, okay. cool. Whoa, what? <laughs> like, like, I don't know about that. I think it is very. I was very inspired by how seriously he took his artistic life. Like when I while I was reading about him and and watching this, I was I was definitely feeling some inspiration on that. But like also like he took he takes it like crazy far but like it was inspiring yeah. to like world's oldest man at, oh what is he like 125 i'm sorry thanks for taking erica <laughs> off task Andy. <laughs> just got distracted appreciate that <laughs> passing notes in class when she's speaking yeah no he he is uh, it out. The crazy the really old okay oh, the world's oldest man uh ever like, like uh he lived to be 116 years old look at this uh, weird and- bird 
I'm, I'm gonna and, let you uh, older, but whatever. <laughs> but but anyways, he he's actually from Japan. His name is Jiromo uh, uh, Kumura, and uh, yeah, he passed away in 2012. I thought Carry there on. was a guy who lived to be like 124. I thought so too, but I'm, I'm maybe not. looking at Guinness Book of World. No, Records. so I think that person wasn't confirmed. Like they couldn't find a birth certificate for that. Oh, that makes um, sense. But can, I, can you? There's have, a great let's, real, let's, real quick. Let's play a who said it game. Wait, I want to play a who said it game for a second. Okay. I'm not. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. I'm actually. I'm gonna point point of point of order. Okay. I'm never gonna get a chance to say this again and have it be relevant to a point, which is say that when he's in the classroom and and the line is having got this far out of sheer pride, I'm not going to become logical now. I think that's an incredible line. Yeah. And that speaks to Erica's point. I just wanted to get that out there. Now I just kept thinking up. about like Ben Burgess when he said Thank that you. when he's addressing the class. And he's like, he's like, oh, you guys can't out logic me. I don't have any logic. Like, fuck you. And I'm like, how do you, <laughs> yeah. how would you debate? Because he says something like, oh, like the great debater or something at one point. And I was like, damn, yeah. you can't debate this guy. Yeah, but that's actually <laughs> how you can't I can't debate handle. him. No, yeah. <laughs> That's how I handle going on Ben's show. Is it's like you know. yeah, that's the Kobayashi Maru of debate. <laughs> yeah. But though, so I was imagining these two uh, these two quotes as Kanye tweets, where, where he says, <laughs> oh, uh, "Fantastic, I, I'm, I'm all a, in." A writer this. is a voyeur, uh, a voyeur par excellence. I came to hate this position. I am not only to be the seer but also be seen. That is a Kanye tweet. And then the other one is, "Men wear masks to make themselves beautiful, but unlike a woman, a man's desire to be beautiful is a desire for death." And I could imagine both of those as like 2000, like 2008 or 2012. Pretty interchangeable. Breakdown. Yeah. 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 Breakdown Mishima yeah. would be like an incredible Twitter presence. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That would no, be he would have a following in the that, millions, to be sure. The thing is, though, that people there. still feel incredibly ashamed about him. I can't imagine how much more they'd, be, they'd feel like they'd have to take his, they'd have to like imprison him and take his phone away. Like, put him on house yeah. arrest and be like, dude, let me, let me get that phone. You, yeah. can't be, you can't, we're trying to build a national project here. You cannot be tweeting. But, um, so do Japanese, pe how do Japanese people feel about him? So this gets into, this gets Definitely, into an interesting, uh, uh, thing that I wanted to bring into this because this is from the Dick Cavett and, uh, Paul Schrader interview, which I guess most do you mean, people. Do you mean that Duck Cavett? <laughs> <laughs> most people involved in this in the production of this um didn't speak english so paul schrader who hates giving interviews famously had to go out and like do all of the press for this which is makes it very funny but um this is paul schrader uh explaining how he viewed uh mishima and then and then why it was so hard for a lot of people kind of thought about making this into a movie and it was very hard to you know um, how yeah how do you do it and like this is the answer is like yeah anyway I'm saying I'm saying one, one answer is that you had to stick with it. Like you had to stick with the, uh, you know, proving to people that you weren't making this out of some sick desire to like humiliate the Japanese people that you actually right. viewed this person as such an artist that you wanted to, which makes sense yeah. of the, you know, the guy that, that, that wrote taxi driver is <laughs> the one that was most fascinating. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess why Schrader I don't know. I didn't invite me. <laughs> well, I don't mean here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, no, I know what you mean by that. If you, anybody who does publicity for your yes. film, they come down to you because uh, it's yeah. easier than getting someone from the Kabuki company who plays a party. Yes, uh, unfortunately, I'm the only one uh, representing yeah. the film who speaks English, so I end up having to do the lion's share of all of this. It isn't enough to have made the film. Now you have to go out and talk about Solid. it. Uh, why you only, why you were the one who got that subject when I would have thought in my naive way that plenty of people 
would have thought, here's a movie just aching to be made. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a certain amount of persistence involved. And also, uh, uh, I've been involved, my brother and I involved in uh, Japan in and out now for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it was four years of negotiating with the estate uh, to secure the rights to the novels. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically, we could have made an agreement the first day, but then it takes another four years to prove your intentions. Uh, and uh, I mean, I think I was the only one who had the patience and the uh, foolhardiness to actually stick it out. Mm -hmm. Did you read any of those many books with variations on the title, How to Do Business with the Japanese? Um, no, no. I, I actually, I had. Uh, uh, had a little connection with Japan and Japanese before it became a, a publishing industry. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of figured these things out to, before the, the how-to books came out. Yeah. I suppose the general reaction here was when he committed suicide in that dramatic, mm -hmm. movie-like way, was the guy had to be crazy. Can the American um, consciousness or whatever ever understand this? Can you understand it? Uh, well, there's that's sort of a misnomer right there, uh, in that uh, we have a tendency to say we can't understand Mishima because we're Americans. Mm -hmm. Believe me, the Japanese do not understand him either. He is as unfathomable to them, yeah. perhaps more so because they feel they should understand him, and we just assume we can't, mm -hmm. and maybe therefore we can understand him better. Um, and he, uh, he is the most obviously most peculiar man and a puzzle of a man who uh, was a prodigy as a writer and uh, wrote very quickly and became famous very young yeah. and then grew disenchanted with words themselves and gradually turned himself into one of his own characters, one of his own creations. And so that his final work uh, uh, is his death. Uh, and it was staged uh, as one would stage a, a theater production. The location was selected, the audience was notified, the, the press was notified, uh, the date was known a year in advance, the, he designed the costumes, and he wrote the script. And, uh, and he cloaked it in a kind of political uh, facade in order to give it a, a greater importance. But basically what it was was the final uh, interior drama that he had been acting out and reacting for uh, 20 years. He has to be one of the strangest men who ever lived because you'd think that, uh, first of all, it would be enough for most people to have a, a, a wife and a family and a very successful writing career and all of that. And without having to also rebuild your body, have a private army um, to become a target almost. Uh, he, he would willingly go to places where he knew he would be booed and hissed, hissed and so forth. Uh, his very controversial uh, Confessions of a Mask, yeah. his first book, which was a biography of a young man's yeah. developing homosexuality, among other things. Uh, so he had just almost everything you could imagine was part of his life, and the yeah. mixture was... I, well, I, I think that the, the secret of his life was that he was really a, a functioning schizophrenic, and that... Uh, uh, that he could move very easily between all these masks and guises. In fact, he felt very comfortable behind each mask. And if you were a literary friend, you were going to have dinner with him, the agenda of your conversation would be known, and you would discuss this. Mm -hmm. And you would, be, you would not be allowed to discuss another subject. Your homosexual friend, that you would behave in a certain way. And none of these uh, masks ever, ever met. And, and I think may, probably because in the center, there was just a big hole. Mm -hmm. And all there was was all these sides. And, uh, and, and then he grew to this notion that true harmony in life, mm 
uh, all these contradictions can only be harmonized in a in, in death. And uh, as one of his biographers wrote about him, he had a you know a lifelong sexual desire for death. Um, that's strange. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's crazy. The sex and death have always been tied <laughs> together. I mean, the the, yes. the orgasm being a small little death in Shakespeare, all yeah, the puns about to death and to die. John, John Dunn. Yeah, yeah. The first John Dunn. And uh, the, but I think that uh, if I can re regain my train of thought. Oh, not going to regain the train of thought. No way. It's just like this show. There's no way you're going to regain your train of thought. Not after Dick Cavett says that. <laughs> no chance. No, chance. no I, I have, I have, a, I have the, the second part where the interview continues after that. But, um, you know, I just wanted to, that was a good like starting point with, how Paul Schrader kind of used him as, I mean, as an international figure, like as someone who, and I think that is the key point that like he said, like the Japanese feel like they should understand him and they don't understand him any better than anybody else. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, because he is Japanese, they feel like, well, maybe they should. And it's like, no, like there's a level of insanity, I think there that's so vast that like, you know, no one can really understand him, but maybe it makes it so that he's easier to understand by audiences that aren't necessarily Japanese. And the Japanese still feel, um, at least at the point when this movie is made, still feel incredibly embarrassed about talking about him um, and his suicide and his death. And, you know, and, and I think he knew that that was going to be the case, uh, like Mishima himself. Like, I, I'm mm -hmm. sure that he knew that, you know, that, you know, his his lust or his luster or whatever would be lost by this act of ultimate lust and death. <laughs> How do you think Kanye is going to die? I hope the same one. <laughs> He <laughs> <laughs> like takes over a school in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Come in that face his, his 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 last his last speech though, some... he's pacing around. And he's like he's like Beyonce had the best album of all time of all time, and then he. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let your school day finish. I can't. I just can't <laughs> let go of the idea that Kanye is our Mishima now. <laughs> well i mean yeah there's no there's quite really no corollary because we just don't have those same levels of cultural icons anymore no you're like right. it, yeah. and um arguably never have but it's so funny that like the entire restructuring of japanese culture uh post-world war ii is sort of like how do we find our way back out of this national shame and then have a bunch of people be like oh not like that though no, not like that. <laughs> yeah. Like it's meme worthy, right? No, no, I mean, no, no, I, no, no, no. You know who I would, you know what? I mean, there are figures, I think, um, within, you know, how badly like we've treated like African-Americans in our, in our society. Um, I'd say almost in some weird way, like almost like, you know, uh, Booker T. Washington or somebody who at the time that like, you know, um, slavery was abolished and, you know, the, like black people were so immiserated within the United States that like, when they did start to have literary figures like that, who were kind of, um, I mean, I don't think Booker T. Washington was like a nut job, but like who were kind of, you know, uh, incredibly controversial and still are. Like it was almost like people would close ranks around them because it was like, you know, there aren't that many people in that in that situation. But the, the difference between Japan, I think, and, you know, the United States is that every time like a, a figure rose up within, you know, the, the black community, like, we, you know, the, like the the power structure would do everything they could to kind of uh, tarnish that figure, 
And in Japan, I don't think it was necessarily the same thing. Now, I think that in Mishima's case, he tarnished himself <laughs> yeah, <laughs> over well, and over again. But I don't think yeah. anybody else really was doing that to him. You know, just kind right. of running through some history, because after the war, uh, the United States did uh, occupy Japan uh, up until 1962. So, which yeah. is a long time. Like, like we, you know, we don't think about that because, like, you know, 1962, we're, we're way over, you know, World War II at that point. Um that, that's when we're some people say America was great. Um, uh, you know, both liberals and conservatives. And then, you know, uh, uh, America left in 62. Um, uh, you, you also see, like, like uh, if you watch Japanese noir, you can kind of track a little bit of this. Because, like, the early noir, you very much see, like, Americans in the background. Like, um, I was actually very surprised. Like, uh, <clears throat> uh, what movie was that? Uh, um uh, cruel gun story had more black people than any like all of uh the the, the filmography of john hughes put together in the in the, you know the background of this this movie um which which is amazing to me uh you know but but uh you know the only time, the only time john hughes had any black people in this movie is when he was making them scary and then he would have uh anthony michael hall do a incredibly offensive black voice yes yeah <laughs> No, but you know it's it's um, uh, but but you actually see like like Americans in the background of a lot of uh, these scenes, and it, it, it caught me off guard the first time I ever watched a Japanese war because I was not expecting that. And then uh, after '62, you know, they became uh, something wholly unique. Um, you know, especially like uh, again going back to Tokyo Drifter, for example, um, not to be confused with Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, which is a whole other movie. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you. Distinguish. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> By the way, second Tokyo Drifter reference. Take a drink. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh I. Oh. But uh, yeah, you. Um, but but if you if you watch this this progression of of the genre, you can actually see like, um, and, and honestly, like Japanese noir was the underside of Japan. Like like it's not the part that they're proud of. Uh, whereas if you look at the like, same, um, the same, which yeah. works because it's the same way in the United States during World War II, you know, like um, they're mm -hmm. kind of showcasing that because they're like, we, you know, as we talked about with Eileen Jones, like their their entire you know infrastructure had failed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there's just this, it's really fascinating to kind of watch it because it really is like this, this unique port. It's a lot more honest too than, than American war as well. Uh, Cause American war had to like, you know, go around the, uh, uh, the Hayes Code. Uh, they didn't have such thing as in that in uh, Japan. Um, so, so they were actually tell very interesting and dark and compelling stories. Uh, so, so, uh, and, and you know, like I said, you can actually see like the fingerprints of that in this movie. Like, like even the black and white scenes. Like, like it was very like, like, uh, I, like I said, I could have swore like a Quentin Tarantino was going to come on and just be like, you know, I was really, you know, like like how Quentin Tarantino just like orgasms about films. Uh, you know, whenever he talks about like stuff, but but like like really the the visuals of this genre is is like very much uh, shown in this movie, and, and uh, which is actually kind of interesting. Um, uh, and also to know that that uh, like that wasn't actually the intent; it just happens to be the 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 uh, end goal of it. Uh, you know, the the end result is is even more interesting. I, I want to know more. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, a lot of the stigma, I think, with stuff in, in Japan at this time, though, is also, like, social stigma, right? Like, you know, shame is a very big part of their culture, and I think you can tell that uh, intrinsically throughout the entire movie of Mishima. Like, you know, people feel ashamed of something and 
killing yourself is, is more of, of an option in that case. Like we like in, in the US, we kind of allow ourselves to get fully shamed. And then, you know, we have we have stories like uh, death of a salesman or whatever that, you know, people are kind of kicked around to the point where they do end up killing themselves. But like, I think it's a little bit more, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of an option, I think, within this culture. And, and it makes it interesting that Mishima is this person who kind of, by all accounts, kind of should, um, or maybe should isn't the right word, but like probably should be able to, like is kind of at the top of his game when he kills himself, right? Like, and they make that clear throughout this movie. He's like, well, I don't think people should get much older than like 40. Like you start to decay, you're at the height of your beauty. And like, I don't know, it, it's it's just kind of, it, it's fascinating to me uh, in, in that case. And he also, you know, they show at the beginning, he's like calling his wife or, you know, his, his wife and kids are out and he like gets into his car and he's at the top of his artistic game. He's like moved into all these different multimedia platforms, I think. And that's when he chooses to do it rather than at a time where he feels, I mean, he feels the like the moment of ultimate humiliation, I think, um, when everybody kind of just boos his speech. But like up until that point, he's kind of, at the height of everything nobody really pries into his affairs to know that he's uh he's he's uh creating um like this this you know right-wing militia behind the scenes well, well again and again to him it's a return to traditional values right but like as militia like, are here too yeah as, <laughs> as they generally are but i like that he doesn't even you know doesn't even he has the shoot spot and the um the arrogance to not even like coach it in in like you know coded terms, right? Like once again, like he he just be like, we need the return of the emperor, and it's like, all right, man, <laughs> let's let this guy in. Like what's like, but in a way that, and I I guess we're just gonna keep talking about that guy. I, I guess like like only Kanye West will kind of be like, well, <laughs> I guess. I mean, that's kind of nuts, but like, but it's gonna be yeah. more serious and considered than if it was someone that was just like some nobody or something. Right? Like yeah. Dave Sim can say the most misogynist things in the world, and nobody's not a comics nerd gives a good goddamn because nobody like Sarah is like the dog from hell. <laughs> but like he can go off about his like crazy ass nonsense in his little corner of the world, and it's not going to be national news. And he did. Yes, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Yes, a lot, a lot. <laughs> but but that's, that's, I mean. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Sorry. I, I, no, I was going to say, the only, the only other thing I can think of in popular culture would be like, I don't know, James Elroy, but it's like noir was not that popular, right? Like, uh, I James mean, like. Patterson? <laughs> I mean, James Elroy, if James Elroy was like Hemingway, right? Like with Hemingway's profile or, um, I don't know, Henry Miller, maybe. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like, uh, no, I'm no, just there isn't like, okay, if <laughs> uh, Charles Dickens in, in England. Mm -hmm. Right. Like at, at that time would be like, you know, the, the biggest like having that level of influence, but like just saying like nutty things. But like that's cooked believed. for everyone. By the way, <laughs> personally, I cannot stand Charles Dickens. I find him incredibly boring and tedious as a writer. I'm talking about level of fame. No, yeah, yeah no, I know. I know. You're cultural cachet. But I mean, there's also like so Kanye, basically. It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, though, like building up this sense of nationalism, like, uh, you know, bring it back to like black culture here, like Holly Celesi is like, see, who's like, you know, the, the proclaimed like emperor of Ethiopia it, within, uh, you know, Jamaican society and like Rastafarianism is seen as this like uh, large, larger than life figure. And it's like, you know, there is always kind of when, when people are like, we should return to these values, they kind of uh, inflate and create these figures in their heads that aren't necessarily doing like the things they're doing, but are dynastic and are 
um, like, like, like this monarch or something that's going to, you know, save everybody from their immiseration. And it does seem like there's a lot of that within Mishima's thought process. Like, he's like, oh, well, only if we had this emperor back. Like, despite the fact that we did have the emperor and we lost World War II, like, we need to bring the emperor back and then everything will be all right. Like, you know, that is like, it's a divine right almost um, in that yeah, sense. And fun fact, Hirohito was uh, emperor of Japan until 1989. Yeah, I was gonna say they actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, with the ironic thing, I mean, not in the same way, but there actually was an emperor. Yeah, and there still is. There still is. Yeah. Um, current emperor is um, uh, Nurahito. Yeah, but I, I mean, Hirohito died in eighty nine, right? Yeah, yeah, it was Hirohito was alive until eighty nine. Until eighty nine, which is like most of our lifetimes, except for Forrest, because Forrest is a baby. Oh. <laughs> But like, but but this, but this is the thing, right? Like, one of the things that the Japanese didn't want to do is remove their emperor. Like that, that, that kind of, in mm -hmm. some ways, we wanted to remove their emperor, like at the end of the war, and we realized that no, like they're not going to surrender regardless of what happens. Um, you know, if, if we, if that's one of the things that we work into this, obviously, you know, at this point, the emperor is is brought down like in in stature, and the hierarchy is what's really important to this, and the fact that you know. He's he's raging at capitalists, right? Like they've come, they've supplanted where the emperor's status was within society. They're kind of running society, and this and the emperor is kind of thrown to the side. So his entire thing is like, no, things wouldn't change except that those capitalists would be pushed aside, brought back down to where by uh, I guess divine right almost that they should be, and the mm -hmm. emperor would be in control of everything again. So it's not even like a, a, a supplantation of like that part of the hierarchy it's just kind of like well we've turned this guy into a figurehead he should be you know the one in control and the military like, should be the in the military which was originally like kind of you know ronin like the samurai like the military should be put uh back in in control of everything and they should be the ones running things so it's like it is fascism i mean it's fascism at its core like it's the most yeah, so so so, yeah, so yes i agree with all those points but what makes this an interesting movie is that could be an entire movie in and of itself and it's like yeah. one part of like it's like one out of eight parts of the four-part movie that like is relevant it's just the most baffling because there's really not a precedent for it yeah i mean they're, they're, well, they're, I, I think they struggle to come up with an analogy right you're getting like, into his psyche right i like, got an getting... analogy it's like all the people who dragged jason lee after he announced that Queen Elizabeth died. Um, this happened right before Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, so nobody remembers this. No, I, no, do, I, I do remember that. I do remember was... that, and he insisted that he insisted that she was dead, and I still insist that she's dead, so I agree with that. I think she's been dead for on. years, but... No, I think, I, think, I think the Queen died back in November, and that they've been, you know, they've like, been hiding they, it. They ended up burning her. <laughs> They Photoshop her into pictures. Well, they said the queen's entering her final form in February. The royal family announced that on their Twitter page. What the fuck could her final form be? And she got COVID around that time. What could, what could her final form be besides yeah, I, dead? I, I made that meme that had her being Mothra. That's that's that's. The, I answered that in meme form, which is the only appropriate response. It's her final form. Uh, I love the format of this movie, though. Let's go. Let's talk about. I was gonna say. I love the format of this movie way more than I do the format of this show right now. <laughs> oh, hey! But it's like, but I do love that it, the um, the the unique approach of it, where it's like we're not just gonna tell the story of this guy's life. We're gonna talk about. I mean, and really, like in 
they mostly just show like that last day of his life right but then they go back through and like the flashbacks are mostly like there's some biographical stuff but biographical stuff but there's like you know flashing into his art which is um very unusual and i really appreciate the approach that paul schrader and leonard and um a whole crew took on that and also have we mentioned it was like produced with by george lucas and francis ford coppola have we mentioned we that? hadn't they raised yeah, you know crazy. they raised 10 million dollars to yeah. make this movie and it yeah, grossed I mean, it was 500 000 because can you imagine pitching this movie can you imagine what, what does that pitch median look like yeah all right sit tight i've got the blockbuster of the summer they i think they just already <laughs> liked him they already liked paul Schrader. yeah they're like what it's, it's like paul Schrader's well, doing it they fine, knew it whatever. wasn't gonna make money it's yeah. like it's like how uh, uh, Tarantino got his name on uh, the movie Hero whenever it got released in the states because uh, no studio was going to release the, like probably one of uh, Japan's be- uh, I'm sorry China's best uh, uh, you know wushu film uh, Hero and uh, Quentin Tarantino's like no no you got to release it and it was like Quentin Tarantino presents and it's like really you have to okay fine. That's it. That's how it's going to get released. I want to enter this into the record, by the way. Mishima wrote 34 novels, 50 plays, 25 books of short stories, and at least 35 books of essays, one libretto, as well as one film. So that's like, you know, they picked three novels, uh, three of his most famous novels, which, yeah, um, which are very different. Yeah, that's a sorry. Okay. What were you saying? I was just saying, should we should we mention which ones they are that get incorporated, or are we assuming that people have seen it who are listening right now? Well, if they haven't seen it, they're going to get it uh, completely spoiled by this. No, so so the first one is, um, <laughs> you know, the first one is the most in- interesting in some ways because I think it's different than the tone of the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, the Temple of the Golden Pavilion, which I I have a I have a short uh, clip that I'm not going to play yet, but it's Mishima talking in France about. Um, uh, contemporary literature and he mentions that the, the one novel at that point that had been translated into French that had gotten big in France is that one um, so this is kind of an internationally known and renowned and like you know uh, a novel at this point um, well especially after his death I think but like you know even even during his life like it had become kind of this international phenomenon and I think it is an interesting it's a it's a pubescent novel in a lot of ways right like um it's coming of age yeah in a very kind of weird i mean it's an interesting story and i think the way it's presented like how the you know the golden temple is like again like erica said like almost like a stage play or something right where you have to use your imagination and they use but they use it as like forced perspective to a certain degree we're sure like wait what's with the oh that's just like it's small but they're behaving as if it's big her words. And I think that we have a lot of different things that are done with the set dressing like that, that are, are, are fantastic that are, that are just you know, like using, making an incredible use of like limited space to just create a world really. Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing. Um, but yeah, I think that that was the first time I was, I was sort of like, Oh, this is interesting. What's this all about? You know, it was my, my initial reaction uh, to that bit of it. But yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> It's very clear that that uh, like you know like whatever I, f- I forget the character's name but the the friend character who's just sort of like pickup yeah, artist in 1950 yeah like I, I don't think it ever says we're, we're sort of like I was oh. trying to write it down and I, I was waiting to write it down and and I'm sure that I could find it on on uh, Google but in this, I don't think they ever say the guy's name I, I named him Frog Feet 
Frog Fury. His name, yeah, he he does have a name in the book, but they don't mention it in the. They, movie. they don't mention it in the movie, but yeah. he goes right up. He goes right up to the point of like saying that he should neg the girl, you know, where it's like yeah. it's like okay, whatever. He's like, Jeffrey no, he's Dahmer the without the murder. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, he's doing he's doing the pickup artist thing, right? Like yeah, that's, that's, oh, that's we're going to teach you how to turn your incel your incel uh, uh, skull shape into an outcell. Raw mindset. Yeah, well, no, well, and that is an entire culture now, right? Like incels that believe that they have the wrong forehead shape or something that like their forehead <laughs> shape is not the most appealing one to there's like they're all over what? reddit yeah so they believe that they have the wrong skull shape and they have the, a four <sighs> a forehead that's too uh that yeah phrenology's back baby look yeah there sure is a lot of internet isn't there so they can't just like talk to women like they're people no, and then like, with somebody, and then there's people that are in their thirties that have never slept with anybody or something, and they the, yeah. the community involuntarily celibate. And there was a and there was a contrapoints um, video, a really amazing video. I don't know if you know Natalie Wynn uh, contrapoint. She's she's like one of the most famous kind of uh, transgender artists, and she had a video about uh, being transgender where she talks about how there's like transgender communities that she felt like were a lot like in cell communities because they would kind of explain, like these people would kind of go on Reddit and like basically nag each other and they would post pictures and be like, Oh, well, the reason that, you know, you're, you're, you're this way is because, you know, you, you're too masculine. Like your, your face is too masculine. And they would like really just pick, pick apart each other's looks. And she realized mm. that this was this incredibly toxic culture. And then she realized like, that's how incels kind of feel. And, and going through that entire thing, this movie kind of does the same exact thing and this guy's like well listen i figured out how to he does the pickup artist thing which kind of is something that you know the people in those communities lose like lose out on money because all of a sudden these guys are like well i can show you how to actually get girls you use yeah. those flaws as a you know as a as a just buy my book yeah. These, yeah. you know these, these uh, instructional <laughs> seminar videos yeah like exactly. and you'll get the gorilla mindset <laughs> the gorilla mindset is all supplements it's all, it's I, all about <laughs> when i read the synopsis of that of well not even the synopsis it was like a brief description of the plot of that book i was like what how do you write a whole book about that it was just like guy burns a temple down because he thinks it's too beautiful and i was like hmm. Hmm. but there is a lot more to it for the record yeah, there, there is yeah <laughs> there is more it to has it, to do but... with it has to do with like him coming of age too, and like yeah, but yeah. like it, it is definitely yeah. like, I mean, it's cool looking. It, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I've also never been like that's so beautiful it needs to not exist. <laughs> yeah, that's. But I mean, that is kind of the Charles incel Dickens. thing, right? Also, there to is... hell with Charles Dickens. Yes, you're right. Charles <laughs> that Dickens. is kind of like the whole incel okay, thing. Like, like you blame the women. You blame the women. You're like, oh, these women are too beautiful. Yeah. They'll never accept me. And in that same way, it's kind of. You can look into his own, I guess. Yeah. Psyche Wait till I health. burn down the temple, then they'll accept me. Exactly. <laughs> or you will. In, in this case, it's almost like burning down the women, like in some way. You know what I mean? Like it, it's. Yeah. It, but in this, it's kind of a more metaphorical yeah. thing, yeah. and you can look at it in terms of his own kind of warped psyche and looking at his body and finding his body to be disfigured, which it wasn't, to be fair. Like Mishima, but he was like kind of a frail. But that was some weird dude. landscaping there at the end. <laughs> yeah, but, you, know, you noticed that too, huh? <laughs> He gets he gets uh he gets incredibly obsessed with that and like you can see that from this novel right like at least the parts of the novel that they cherry pick like they're kind of mm -hmm. leading up to this point and then you know the next thing after that is he has that conversation with his uh 
homo, much younger homosexual lover and who says, oh, looking a little flabby. And he freaks out about that and realizes, like, yeah. no, I need to rebuild my entire body. Yeah. And then he, like, changes his entire, like, life around, like, rebuilding his body because yeah. of somebody made one snide, one catty body. little comment. <laughs> was, do you guys know if he really was raised as a girl by his grandmother? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't look into that part of it, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I couldn't tell if it was real or not. No, I mean, I, that would make sense for the the machismo part. Like, it's a complete overcorrection, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it also, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to have um, Kabuki be kind of brought into that, right? Like Japanese yeah. uh, theater, and yeah, that like really does sometimes that. turn like male actors into female actors, but it's something that you know Shakespeare yeah. did too. And like, you know, it's fascinating. And I think that that in some ways is Paul Schrader. Uh, doing a little bit of um, over explaining by being like, well, we wear ma many masks, many masks, you know? Yeah, that's but, what uh, Miss Saigon was about, too, right? What? Isn't that what Miss Saigon's about? Or am I Miss Saigon? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, so like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, back God. to. Mishima, um, but I, but I think that so that's the per, the first uh, the first story. You're not counting the joiner pieces. Is is like when you see like the golden temple, and it's like, oh, that looks cool. Like you know, the first thing you, like you think of before you even know it's gonna like play like this big factor in the story is again like it looks like a stage play, forced perspective. It's like oh, that's really interesting. Like oh wow, it's cool that like huh, that's hmm. but you can envision where they're going with it, like how the scene would be like, you know, in an actual outside, like, you know, with nature and stuff like that, et cetera, et cetera. But like mm -hmm. stripping it down to the barest elements of like, again, like a small play or something where you, you just none of that matters. All that matters is and then you, you're wondering, well, why is the temple there? And they're like, oh, that's why. OK, that part in the, where um, he walks through the trees and he puts in the the, the hay. And he lights yeah. it on fire. And then when he runs back through and the trees are red. Yeah. Oh, I'm it's, dead it's, about that. It's freaking impressive. I died. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's so gorgeous. It was gorgeous. Just like the man himself at the end. Spoilers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, like, and like, I, don't I mean, believe in spoilers, I just believe in me. When, like, when it, it opens it makes up, perfect too, sense. like, what it, it makes perfect sense going back to the 50 plays, right? Like, this guy kind of was thinking about all of these things in terms of plays. It does yeah. make sense that they do design it like that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it's it's impressive because it gets the point across and does in a way that actually makes you think more about like the action that's happening than if you actually saw it, like, if there was actual, like you know, oh, the, the set's on fire now, then it would be like, that wouldn't be nearly as cool. Yeah. Um. So going- So that's the, that's, the, that's the first one. That's, uh, yeah. I forget what the, the name of that mm -hmm. bit is, but. Um, yeah, so going going into the, um, the, the second one is, is interesting too. And it's, the second one's Kyoko's house. Um, right. Which introduces you to this concept of, uh, you know, kind of pain as, uh, pain and death as like a sexual thing. And, um, yeah. and, and they touch on this in the Dick Cavett uh, interview, I guess not in the part, and I'm sure they'll touch on it in the second clip that I play at the end of this part of it. Um, but the, the, a lot of Japanese girls, I guess at this time, it was kind of famous, were into this very violent form of pornography where kind of pain was the art itself. So oh. um, this is kind of the erotica form of that, I think. 
uh, you know, doing that that entire thing as a as an erotica novel in some ways. Yoko Ono um, also kind of famously uh, played with that idea uh, with some of her performance art. Rad. Uh, right. Um, yeah, she, she she would like just like she cut the Beatles. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no. She she had a pair of scissors and just invited men to come Stop up and it with that. snip off her clothes. Uh, and, and you know, like you can cut off however little or much as you want, and um, uh, she she would sit there and you know see how far she could push it um, before she she uh, you know would walk off stage. But like that that was that was her performance, and it's um, yeah. And and so so the the seems the weird, is... but like with the context of that pornography, yeah. yeah. So so Kyoko's yeah. house One is the art like, world it's... that makes sense. Right. And this is like more like sadomasochism, right? Like it's sort of like you know, the idea is like it's like a sadomastic masochistic relationship between like the woman and like the, the young man. And like they're both it's transactional to a certain degree, like they're both getting something out of it. But there is like something beyond that there. And it's probably the most. Well, I, I know that um, Schrader wanted to include. Uh, include another book of his that has like a gay man in a in a marriage as well. And like mm -hmm. the widow was like, nope, like hell you were, because like she knew that like he was trying to like you know blend reality and the, and the movies and whatnot. Uh, that was the only one that like she apparently denied. But uh, yeah, this mm -hmm. one is sort of like it's interesting because it's it's um, I mean it's a it's a different kind of period piece than the than the first one, than the, the Temple of the Golden Pavilion, and it's a different kind of point in time. But like you can kind of still see the through line. Mm -hmm. uh, to it and it's you know it's not really judgmental necessarily it's just sort of like it's exploratory like that's the exploratory part of the film and it's exploratory <laughs> in a lot of ways uh for the content yeah i liked the concept of that though where it was like each of the four main characters i guess in that book are all like different facets of himself and like yeah i guess like how they interact um well, I didn't get into that. I didn't get to read the book because, you know, I and and I should forever, I should but... say that this is <laughs> this novel, uh, Kyoko's House, is published in 1959. So um, same year as Temple of the Golden Pavilion, right? Uh, I'll look that up now. But um, okay, yeah. So, so it's real time fact checks. Yeah, moving next to Avaganza. <laughs> <laughs> Forbidden Colors is the one I was thinking of. That they Nine, so that's on. that's published in 1956. So it's Temple, uh, the Temple was. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I mean, it's a three-year difference. Not much of probably a, a difference, but you know, it's it's still kind of um, within the same time period, I think, right? And both of those are kind of exploratory. I mean, the first they're they're mm -hmm. both also sexually exploratory, I think. But like, you know, this this idea of of beauty as something that needs to get burned down um in the first one and it, as he kind of you know later with uh with all uh you know making sure that you knew the metaphor was coming like he he right. stands the metaphor called ahead in this scenario but yes. yeah like <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so like you know the idea of like burning beauty down in its prime like when you can't take it anymore or whatever and then the second one kind of as pain as something that's like liberating and um and, and i should say that each of these parts of the story um or each of these novels you don't see the violence in this part of it uh it, it flips to the next one before you see the, the final yeah you're, you're right you're right because they don't they don't show every piece of, of the book it's sort of like they they 
sort of save that ultimately as a film towards the end. Like you get to see like the lead up and it's like each one gets to be like a different facet of uh, the self and a different uh, facet of the personification of what his ideals were, or in some cases, like, you know, things that he went through or perceived that he went through, like through allegory, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which, which brings us to uh, a decade, a decade later, uh, 1969 mm-hmm. runaway horses, which was my favorite one of the three uh, novels. Shocking. They- nice. <laughs> oh, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of the Stooges song, but that's also good. <laughs> and, and, you know, that one kind of is the most uh, heavy handed. That was the word I was looking for earlier, but you know, the most mm-hmm. heavy handed metaphor, because, you know, that is a story of, you know, they literally say, we'll assassinate the leaders of capitalism, burn down the bank of Japan, at dawn, uh, law will restore the emperor or restore power to the emperor, and so that's kind of that the, that point in time where he's like, it's like "Cool, cool, what?" <laughs> yeah. And it makes a lot of sense um, the way Andy phrased it, where it's like you know, 1962, the U.S. kind of left, and the yeah. first two novels he wasn't really exploring those concepts, and I don't know. I mean, he wrote so much shit, so who knows? You know what he was saying in the other ones, but like. Uh, you know, 1969, the U.S. is gone, and he can kind of start exploring. A 1968, bit. capitalism is good. Actually, you don't remember that book? <laughs> <laughs> wow, really, a, a divergence from the rest of the world because 1968 was the year of revolutions everywhere else. <laughs> Mishima definitely marched to the beat of his own drummer. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So, so there's there's a, a very heavy-handed line. At sunrise on a cliff, paying reverence to the sun, looking down at the sea, will commit seppuku. And that's the moment you kind of realize what's coming for, uh, you know, yeah, quite, kind of like, quite literally for uh, Mishima. Like, you realize, oh, that's what he's looking to do. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's his end goal. It's his, that's his, the future state that he's looking for. Yeah. His and final form. I, I should say yeah. also right, right before this, they talk about the war itself, um, World War II. And a little bit before this, or well, it's it's before I guess the the second Kyogo's house thing. My favorite line in this, um, Mishima says, "I'd always dreamed of dying on the battlefield. So why did I lie? Why did I exaggerate my illness?" Because he says, you know, he pretends he has tuberculosis. And he says, "My words were lies. I was a coward. I never wanted to die." And you kind of take it to 1969, where at this point where he started to explore the idea of seppuku, his body is rebuilt at this point. Um, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, he, he's. Each each time you see him in the car with these, you know, young young uh, militia men, I guess these young, you know, ar- army army kids, and uh, you know they want to come with him wherever he's going. You don't know where that is, but they're like, no, you guys have to go to court. You guys have to defend what happens here. We're going to go there. So you don't know exactly what's happening, but they're kind of leading up to this story. I think, um, you yeah. know. Yes. Absolutely. Agreed. <laughs> so, so you know, in, in this story, um, the kid is training to be, you know, he's training with wooden swords, and he doesn't want to train with wooden swords anymore. He wants the real sword, and he gets into yeah. the into a room with, you know, some, some officer in, in the Japanese army, and he's talking about, you know, uh, I have this militia that I've kind of put together, which you're like, yeah, all right. Like we know that uh, Mishima is in the same fucking position. Like he has this militia he's put together, and he's like, if you know, who would you assassinate if you had to assassinate ten people? And he lists off these uh, Japanese officials. So, like, who would you assassinate if you could be five people? He lists off this like uh, you know a smaller list, and he says, what about one person? And 
he lists off, you know, this, this, the one person that he would, um, I think I wrote down the guy's name, but, um, he was a businessman though, right? Uh, Kurahara. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd assume he was probably like the finance minister or something. Fine, uh, yeah. Okay. They don't really, they don't really specify who it is, but like, I'd assume that's probably who the guy would have been. Yeah. But, um, okay. but throughout this, that's when he's, uh, you know, the, the left has occupied uh, Tokyo university. They're interspersing it with moments from Mishima's own life where he's like, Oh, I'll challenge all these kids to a debate, trying to recruit more kids at Tokyo university. So yeah. they're, they're very, they're very much heavy handedly building you up to realize like, no, this is going to end in an act of violence of some kind. This guy's kind of completely lost his mind at this point. Um, you know, during that, he also poses with the sword. He poses as a, um, which we didn't, we didn't touch on, but you know, as he discovers his homosexuality the first time or bisexuality, whatever it is, he gets turned on by a picture of a knight and he recreates the picture of the knight where he's hung up to a tree left to die. Um, so he's, all these themes are kind of being thrown at you at once in, in a very heavy handed way, but also kind of uh, in an intense way where you're like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Like, <laughs> which, um, uh, Voltaire, which I, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a, uh, not, not the philosopher, but the singer, uh, Voltaire released an album. <laughs> not familiar. I'm going somewhere with this. Um, deep cut here. Release an album with the same, with the same image on it. And, uh, uh, he, he actually said like, you know, um, Ziggy Stardust, just gay enough. That album cover, too fucking gay. So, you know, that was my first thought when I saw that scene. Um, mm. uh, I think he's also wrong. Um, like, there's no such thing as too fucking gay. But you know, my uh, thought was, my thought was, my thought when I saw that, when I saw the picture was, why is my hand doing that? It's going right to my right, right there, just like, uh, just like Mishima. So maybe I'm Mishima. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> There's such, a, there's such an interesting quote when he sees it for the first time. He's like, "My hand started doing something that I didn't know it was Kate. Like I had never yeah, trained." I bet it, it did. I bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's after you kind no. of see the, the <laughs> no. It's after the it's after you kind of see the the kid with the stutter gonna get a he's gonna get a hand job and he like you know and he's trying and, he, and he's supposed to touch the girl's like breast and like there's the whole thing and he's he realizes oh you're too beautiful i don't want to do that and backs away from all i of can't it. get through the force shield yeah <laughs> <laughs> is that what it oh but uh, I yeah. up on that. that was why he couldn't figure it out <laughs> uh, well i don't know if that was why but <laughs> i mean it's open to interpretation i think to a certain degree but yeah yeah i mean like yeah. it's there, there's a lot of there's a lot of sexual tension that's that's put out in weird ways and channeled in very unorthodox. I'm not, not trying to be judgmental. Very unorthodox ways. Um, the most most unorthodox, of course, is the uh, the organized coup. But we're not at that point yet. So <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to build to that. And you it's know. almost like you 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 just hope that like you know some some good hearted man or woman would just, uh, you know, take one for the team or something. But anyway, uh, yeah. No, like, this is probably a good, a good point to pause this. And, um, I want to play a clip of Mishima around this time that I found on Criterion. Oh, cool. And, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily relate fully. He does talk about the temple of the golden pavilion. Um, this is, this is what he looks like and, and kind of, um, I, I think it is important to realize the level of charisma this guy kind of actually did have. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, we're focusing on the kind of like, well, that's weird. Oh, that's also weird. This also is weird. Also, this is weird. But like the fact is, like, it was a pretty charismatic dude. Or and he was very, very handsome, very, very yeah. chiseled, I think. Um, and people did recognize that. I mean, I, you know, whether or not they agreed with his people idea. are talking about it more and more. Actually. <laughs> so this is he's getting he's getting interviewed by a, a French interviewer at this point. Nous avons le privilège d'avoir Monsieur Mishima parmi nous. C'est à lui maintenant que je vais poser des questions. Monsieur Mishima, y a-t-il deux littératures japonaises, l'une traditionnelle et l'autre moderne Il n'y a pas d'opposition entre les deux tendances. La littérature japonaise contemporaine est une synthèse entre un apport occidentaux importants et les formes nationales traditionnelles. À quelle des deux tendances vous rattachez-vous Aux anciens ou aux modernes Je voudrais parler en japonais. Je vous si l'on veut définir la tendance générale de mon œuvre, disons qu'elle est la synthèse de l'esthétique et de la psychologie. De tradition d'ailleurs au Japon, esthétique et psychologie ne sont pas deux éléments différents. L'esthétique ne s'oppose pas non plus au réalisme. Je crois que c'est une originalité au Japon. Il existe chez les écrivains japonais une école à laquelle je ne participe d'ailleurs pas, qui est celle du roman vécu qu'on appelle la high novel. Il s'agit d'une sorte de fusion de la littérature romantique occidentale et de la littérature confession des moines japonais du Moyen-Âge. Cette forme littéraire connaît une grande vogue depuis la fin du 19e siècle. Y a-t-il un écrivain français qui ait eu une influence particulière sur vous oui, Raymond Radiguet, euh, que j'admire beaucoup. Euh, J'ai lu Le bal de Contagère, euh, très jeune. Et ce livre m'a beaucoup frappé. Quelle est la situation de l'écrivain japonais dans la société contemporaine La situation de l'écrivain japonais contemporaine, la paire sert d'auteurs français à l'époque d'Alexandre Dumas et les Misola. Euh, je voudrais parler en japonais. Euh, les Japonais sont longtemps restés fidèles à cette formule de roman publié en feuilleton par les journaux. Il y a dix ans encore, il était courant de voir de grands journaux tirant un 5 millions d'exemplaires publier des romans de qualité en feuilleton. Yeah. So, what are we going to do the recording of us doing this in English? <laughs> so okay. no, but so this is 1962 that that clip yeah. was from, and okay. I, I think it's important for a few reasons. To um, there's one where he goes on to talk about the atom bomb and the effect that that had on everybody, um, which maybe we could play after this. But you know, I think it's fascinating to look at. He's uh, coherent. He's a handsome guy. Um, he is clearly, you know, um, maybe not fluent, but like you know, 
pretty fluent in French. Um, he was also pretty fluent in English. Like, you know, he's kind of someone who can represent the Japanese people, um, ready to downplay the political implications of everything he's writing about. And he can represent the Japanese people who had kind of been through this in incredibly shameful period on a world stage to people who they're kind of trying to um, elaborate their own stance to. And at this point, uh, as they said in this, most of his works have been translated into English and, and you know, were very popular in America. Uh, Temple of the Golden Pavilion, which, you know, came out years before, but like had been translated at this point into French, which French is kind of the most, uh, one of the most uh, romanticized cultures, I guess, in that way. And he can hold his own, I think, in those interviews, right? Like they're not condescending necessarily. They're, they're having a, a conversation with him about literature. So you can kind of see why um, why a, a people, I think, that felt that much shame about where they were um, really wanted to hold on to him and really didn't want him to uh, explode in a blaze of glory like I think a lot of people felt like he was going to but didn't want to admit. Um, Kanye is a, truly the perfect example because, like, you know, <laughs> it's like when Kanye showed up at the White House, it was Trump. You know, people people really did, you know, explode the same way that uh of embarrassment you know that they had you know what is it going off to college or whatever the hell his album is i feel like i would be canceled by classic film people if i hashtag this like film twitter and they're gonna be like dude you compared mishima to kanye <laughs> so many times good. too you can't even pretend bastard. you didn't <laughs> There's no, there's no political implication to it at all, though. Um, no, so I, I want to continue on with the second part of this interview. It's interesting. He talks about the atom bomb and World War II and the, the impact that he thinks that that had on um, Japanese culture. And then we can talk about him as a figure. I think, I think it, he like I think watching these, I started to feel uh, a lot more not not sympathetic, but a lot more understanding. I think about how he was viewed within japan and and why people because in this movie you like see a general be like no 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 wait don't kill yourself you you took me hostage that's okay like you know what i mean like you start to wonder like oh is there gonna be would there have been no consequences for him then if you know he hadn't killed himself like would the guy have been like it was a misunderstanding or something like i mean who knows what the what the result would have been but like i think you start to understand a lot more why this this was a figure that kind of needed to be protected um Quelle est l'influence de la télévision dans la vie de l'écrivain japonais Est-ce pour lui un nouveau moyen d'expression Et que on raconte on est De nos jours, la télévision a la tendance à donner sa préférence au spectacle télévisé plutôt qu'à la lecture. Malgré tout, cette formule du feuilleton est tellement enracinée dans les esprits que les écrivains continuent à publier d'abord leurs romans dans les revues littéraires. Est-ce que, par exemple, la bombe a inspiré des livres Le problème d'Hiroshima, pour nous, écrivains, est extrêmement difficile à aborder. Il demeure au fond de notre cœur comme un sentiment personnel profond comme un abîme. Pendant quelques années après la fin de la guerre, des romanciers ont traité le problème d'Hiroshima, mais d'un point de vue politique. D'autres auteurs ont raconté leur expérience personnelle du drame sous la forme d'un roman autobiographique. Quinze ans après la bombe, on a commencé à voir apparaître des œuvres d'imagination abordant le sujet d'un point de vue plus objectif, 
Je me permets de vous citer l'exemple de mon roman La Belle Étoile. Actuellement, le romancier Izuza publie un livre consacré à la bombe sous la forme du journal d'une jeune fille d'Hiroshima morte dans la catastrophe atomique. C'est un bon roman et écrit dans un esprit extrêmement objectif. This is a, no pun intended, but this is a, uh, an event that's incredibly hard for us to deal with, but we've turned it into art and literature. Like it's yeah. something that's kind of, you know, so deeply rooted in our hearts, but it's something that we've managed to turn into creative output, which I think in a European context is like incredibly important. You're sitting there being like, oh shit, like, yeah, this is a, a creative culture that they've, they've kind of built out of the ashes of a lot of really fucked up shit. And, and what year was this interview? I think it's 1962. Okay, because uh, 67 is when Grave of the Fireflies was written uh, as a short story, which became a very phenomenally good anime. If, if uh, Yeah, we talked about that during the, the uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah, Totoro well, it's, it's also Studio Ghibli, but it's not uh, Miyazaki. Yeah. All right, let the record show. Uh, so I think that also, is it a flex that he like is like shifting from like French back to to japanese like yeah I think it's a bit of a flex right it has to be yeah and there's other interviews where he does the same thing with english um yeah As you don't think it's me, just I'm that he might japanese. feel like he can express himself more clearly in japanese no 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 it is that he can probably uh, is, express himself but... more clearly in japanese but the thing is that the, the fact that he can speak french the fact that he is kind of this international figure i think is mm -hmm. it's a big part of it um I mean, yeah, you know, world leaders like to do that a lot. World leaders a lot of times like to say part of what they have to say in one language and then another part in another because it, it's showing that, like, they have a grasp on yep. your culture. Remember Tim Kane? Yeah. Oh, oh I see what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> God damn it, I forgot about Tim Kane. <laughs> Harmonica dad. <laughs> um, Pete Buttigieg, you know, breaking out, you know, his, his the three words he actually knows in whatever language he's yeah, saying. Yeah, in Esperanto, whatever the hell he claimed he knew, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like I, I can speak five languages too. I just can't speak any of them fluently. Um, <laughs> hola, <Kirichiwa. laughs> No, yeah. but like there, there is another saying that French is like the romanticized language, right? Like he, mm -hmm. the literary tradition. I think like he, he's getting interviewed in French. Like, oh, are there any French authors that really like speak to you? Like, it, it's important, I think, for uh, Mishima to be an international figure rather than kind of just yeah. like a, a national author that whose work is just being translated into you know what like i mean maybe like chinese maybe korean like you know um uh, like nearby cultures like i think it is important that he's translated in the west and that he does understand and is comfortable within these different western cultures um and and i think that that says a lot about why the and and they show that in in uh mishima right like he's speaking in english to them and he's like oh i'm sorry like he does the humility thing where he's like my english isn't very good and then he goes on to like kind of give a fascist speech in english which like all right but a man before his time <laughs> wow he just like he just like me for real um <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I, uh, yeah. so it's it, it's wild too that you know, he ostensibly is, is there because like what they like translated like the one book and like that book was like a success and just like, oh, let's find out more about this guy. And let, then they get, you know, the whole the whole deal. 
<laughs> the whole mission of a deal, which is, which he, you know, he's very happy to be like, you know, on the world stage in that way. But like, he doesn't want to be there just because of his books. He wants to be there as like a representative for Japanese culture. Mm hmm. And it's important for him to say to like do that, even if he isn't like saying it necessarily. Much to again the eternal shame of the, his detractors and uh, uh, the whatever the haters. I don't know what we're gonna call them. The haters and losers. <laughs> haters and losers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so we've gone into I, and I go back to my original yeah. thesis statement that Mishima would kill on Twitter if he was around today. Yeah, but anyway. Causing shame to his whole, this causing shame for his entire populace, and I mean, I mean, something though, something though that I kind of am, am enamored is the wrong word, but impressed with, I guess, is that he manages to, despite like whatever you want to say about schizophrenia or mental illness, what like whatever Conan used specifically, no, but like whatever Paul Schrader wants to talk about while defending this movie, saying like, oh, well, I think he was a schizophrenic, he manages to downplay his own political ambitions right and you don't necessarily to the point that it seems surprising when you hear when, yeah. when like when and you're like oh i would not have expected that of you but it's like oh but then if you think about like his entire body of work like everything kind of leads that way yeah. or at least but the, it is the parts of his body of work that are cherry-picked for this wow well, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 which tend to be like some of the more popular ones so yeah it's, it's not like it's it's not like they're like having to dig that far frankly like, oh no they're not going into his old tweets <laughs> to read his old tweets and yeah. say like, oh in 2008 he, he said something that you know but no but but Harvey, remember when they had forrest miller a life in four chapters and one of them was just his old tweets i remember that yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just memes they're like look at just, that meme he posted like, this meme and sure posted a lot of memes this year didn't he yeah all right <laughs> um so the fourth chapter is uh and, and we should say no, please the, go the past end that. of yeah, thank you the end of uh the, the runaway the runaway horses one is that you know the guy um we didn't actually go into the end of this so the army kind of turns on him or the army guy and they realize that the army has been compromised by capitalism and and by kind of this exactly. system and the guy bails on on them and there's that um i i'm kind of blown away by how they did this everybody is in this kind of stage and they're all meeting on the table and and you know after kind of all pledging their loyalty in this beautiful which you know if we weren't there you would see behind us i mean you can kind of see it they're they're pledging their loyalty and standing out with you know the the golden the golden rising sun it looks like it'd be something it's like it's just your standard door people it's just your standard door <laughs> you know like that kind of that kind of scene but like out of context you'd be like what are what alien is gonna pop out of there or whatever. <laughs> but like yeah but it's it's a beautiful scene yeah yeah and so they're meeting in this thing and then all of a sudden you see this incredibly well done thing where the there's an aerial footage of their uh meeting place and then all of these soldiers run in and and break the walls off like it's almost like they're meeting on this stage set i mean that is what it is but they're meeting on the stage set and they break the walls off of the set and it's this almost operatic um yeah. moment in time and it's beautiful and then he's brought into this once again stage set jail and he's being quizzed by the guy across from him it was like oh well we torture people who don't want to talk and you hear the kind of the screams of torture behind him is like well you do want to talk and he doesn't talk. <laughs> and then they don't show you how he escapes from jail. He just kind of runs off the set. And he stabs the guy that he wanted to stab and then commits seppuku. And, you know, so you're you're kind of very heavy-handedly brought into this situation. And right before the other guy commits seppuku, they, they cut again because they don't show you the violence just yet. And um, you're brought into the situation where you're like, all right, well, I think I know what's going to happen in this fourth chapter. Um, you know, you're like, you know, because... 
they've, they've made reference to it so many fucking times and I've showed you the pictures of, and, and yeah. I will, I, before we talk about the spooky part of it specifically, I will play the, the Dick Cavett part where they're talking about this, but there's like, you know, he has the samurai picture. He's obsessed with samurai. He says to the uh, college campus and there is a documentary now, I guess that uses the footage from this um, from like, I think 2015 where they're just talking. It's a documentary about his specific speech that he gave at Tokyo University when it was taken over. So they're finally kind of coming to terms with Mishima as someone who is not representative of their culture in that way, but like is a representative of that time, um, which I think is good, uh, you know, to come to terms with the fact that, you know, this is not something caused necessarily by Japanese culture. This is something that was in some ways wholly opposite are wholly uh, other you know what i mean like this is this own guy's issue and, and and it was incentivized by this culture because they do have this um hierarchical way of viewing things and i don't know if they get into all this in this documentary but like they do have this hierarchical way of viewing things where this person is literally like even the general that he takes hostage is deferential to him so like it, you know yeah. but <laughs> he's a man kind of crazy right but, yeah He's like, no, wait, don't kill yourself. <laughs> you have so much to live for. <laughs> well, and in, in Runaway Horses, from what I read about it, there's a character from an earlier novel that Mishima wrote um, who is further along in his career in this in Runaway Horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah he was yeah. a law right. student in the first one. Now he's like a lawyer, maybe a judge or something, but he's like, you know. And then he thinks that the main character of Runaway Horses um, is a friend of his reincarnated. And so he works to, like, keep him protected. Uh, okay. Um, I didn't know any of that, but... Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting, like... The more you know. Mo like, point or facet or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. No, it definitely is. <laughs> and and I like so, so I should also say that and we didn't, I mean, well, there's no reason to talk about this part, but the beginning of the second story. Then don't do it. Don't I was going to say, but here it is anyway. I'm, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm, saying, I'm saying up until this point, there wasn't, there wasn't necessarily a reason to talk about this, but the beginning of the first, uh, the second chapter, they're in the car and it's him and his guard in the car. And they're talking yeah. about, oh, you don't have to do this. You don't have to, oh no, you don't have to do this alone. Like, you know what I mean? They're doing that whole thing. And uh, they cut away from that. He sees a he sees the bookstore, and he's the most prominently is uh, a poster of his face, and he looks. Mm -hmm. at Yeah, that's right. And, that, that's yeah. a cool scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, it's but really it's beautiful. Like, but it's also like to him, it's sort of like that doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, like, I forget what he says, but it's basically like I don't care yeah. about that. Yeah, well, I, think I was that trying kind to read of, his face to see what kind yeah. of reaction he would have, and it was like no, nothing. Yeah, there was no reaction to yeah. it. But they do make sure to show you like it's his face, and then the same face, and they're looking at the bookstore, and yeah. I thought that was a really cool shot. I don't yeah, know. That's yeah. all I wanted to say. No, but so, but but, but at that point, one, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. My no. interpretation of that is he wasn't famous for the way he wanted to be famous at that point, and so that it was it was irrelevant to him in that way that uh, so he wasn't a famous rapper yet. <laughs> he just made beats. Um, <laughs> he hadn't. He hadn't. The, well, the only thing he didn't freaking do. I mean, come on. He hadn't talked Kim Kardashian into marrying him yet. <laughs> well, there's a whole thing with Kanye where he had a career as a famous beat. He was he was a producer. No, no, we get it. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, we, get it. Yeah, we don't need to explain to us. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the end of the movie, he pitches he pitches his rap career to Jay Z, and Jay Z is like, "Yes," and the movie ends. What hast thou, Roth? Andy World. What hast thou, Roth? 
um no so so they get to the second the second runaway horses part they're all singing in the car they're singing a what, what you, you can assume i think is an old uh japanese war like war song army song yeah. they could have like all... a tea shanty or something along those lines where it's like <laughs> hey everybody let's have a good time and sing this yo like, ho yo ho <laughs> like the halls of montezuma me. or whatever that yeah is. yeah exactly something it's like who would, why is that the thing you're okay yo ho <laughs> yo ho a samurai's life for me anyway yeah, yeah ostensibly um, like more or less <laughs> So, so no, so the we we so the reason that I brought this up is that Harmony of Pen and Sword starts at that point. They're in yeah. the car. They're they're about to go into this uh, general's, uh, you know, th this general the barracks, pretty much. But you know, they're about to go into the general's office in the barracks. And um, one of the things he says is, even in his present present weakened condition, the army represented the ancient code of the samurai. Um, so he sees the the Japanese armed forces uh, as a potential uh, way to bring the samurai um, uh, back to power. Anybody mm -hmm. else want to want to want to talk about that? Yeah, well, he did also bring <laughs> up the Edo period during. Uh... No, never mind. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like about what piece of it? Like, like about like the motivation or like the the execution I mean, like, is he like is... smoking weed and watching akira kurosawa movies and being like way too into it? yo that's just like me no <laughs> i mean oh, what, what he's definitely doing and i can't reference this enough is like him and his his, his uh um bodybuilding buddies are sitting around taking pictures of each other in various poses well taking pictures of him long. mostly i mean mostly know, of him but like yeah. i mean of each other too but but just like yeah like yeah. that's like you do yeah. He's like, he's like, yo, take a picture of me with this. Take a picture of me with this. Yeah. All right, I guess you guys get in here. Get in that here didn't happen me. in the Schwarzenegger yeah. biographies I read as a kid. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was like you gotta put what and what I, I men do that. Uh, but, but uh, um, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, fascinating being eight years old and reading about gay sex from Arnold Schwarzenegger. You put what and what? <laughs> what did you put in what? <laughs> no. Wow. no, but so so they've built up they've built up this whole story to this point, and I, and you realize that you're in this present moment, and um, you know he has a samurai sword, which um presumably is a real sword from the 1600s, but uh, Paul Schrader kind of count in, in the clip we're gonna watch, Paul Schrader kind of cast out, and he's like, well, he said it was. Like you know what I mean? Like so, who knows what it really is? Yeah, but... Well, also just keep in mind too, uh, the the handles of the swords uh, change. The swords themselves, the blades uh, might actually be from the time period, but the handle might not be. And like it depends mm. on which part of the sword you're looking at. Whenever you're talking about, you know how old the sword is. Resident um, swordologist J. Andrew World is here. Hey, to tell you. Japanese art history, bro. <laughs> I don't know. Coming in handy. I'm glad you're um, here. I don't yeah, know. No, no, and, Doctor uh, of Swords, J. Andrew World. Well, I mean, if you go to a, a good uh, museum with Japanese uh, art history, like like they will have separate the blades from the uh, the handles. Yeah. Uh, the the um uh they, they actually have like names to all this stuff. But I mean, I literally have a katana. I didn't realize like, that. About a foot that way. Um, but they shot. do that so just I, because, I, like, I, I, I partly for just, storage yeah. and partly because, like. Sometimes they're from very different periods because, like, a samurai will like break the handle and would have to get it redressed, uh, even though this right. is like the family sword or something. Mm -hmm. So uh, you guys could, you could, we could talk over this. There's no sound to it. This is some footage. Oh, we will from the day of the seppuku. 
And this is the barrack that he invaded. Um, oh, is this like faces of this death? Is IRL? Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, no, this is this is him. This is him addressing the uh, and and I wish there and was he's sound way hotter there. than he was in the movie. Yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. And so these are the these are the soldiers <laughs> that he's addressing. Which is why it was um, time for him to commit suicide. And also, this is a Typically. lot. Uh, there's a lot more of them. There's a lot more of them. And oh, th this is uh, they, they talked about earlier. There's the plane. I think that's or they, they wanted flyers dropped. And so he's dropping flyers down. He has his people dropping flyers down in this, the same way that they were talking about the plane dropping flyers down. So they kind of made that connection, I think. Um, oh, here come the cops. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, so then he's, he's making his proc. Oh, Spider-Man's on the move here. All right. Okay. Yeah, where are you doing, bro? How, are you gonna... how, how, how did, yeah, did, how, did you think I was going to go? What's the weird thing is here? the actual Japanese Spider-Man is much more entertaining. Japanese <laughs> Spider-Man, I will talk to. So the, wait, so that so that was the so they're bringing they're bringing people out of out of this. That was the broken window that they showed though uh, briefly right. in in the movie where they barricaded themselves in there. They're bringing them out. This is after the Sepuku is. I almost like it, the in the movie's representation of being like a more sparse, like sort of spread out. Yeah, and and of wow. course you, you, I mean, you want that for a story about it, right? But somewhere, yeah. somewhere in this, you actually see, um, you see the 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 stretcher at the beginning. Wait, I'm gonna, I'll I'll find it, but you see the stretcher where they're bringing him out. Um, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, and I will say, like the set design work is so close to actually what this is. It's kind of incredible. Yeah, well, um, it's just it's it's this, but like with you know a lot less people like which is interesting because of course there's i mean you know it's more cinematic if there's less people well lucas and, and coppola couldn't raise enough money to hire more extras <laughs> um but yeah so, what do you think no, Erica? No, 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 go ahead and talk well, I'm, just... I'm just trying to like i don't i'm this sorry I'm, I'm all i'm very tired today i've been waking up way earlier than i'm used to so but like i'm trying to I like it's, it's up there it. yeah we fucking know dude we know so, you're not going to be able to get to him. In, <laughs> in the film version, he goes back into the office and commits uh, seppuku. Sorry, I can't say it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I said it correctly either. So it's I, think it's, I think it's seppuku. I think I... Seppuku. seppuku. Yeah, okay. with a P. Um, in the general's office. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But... In the clip, he looks like he's being escorted out by no, the police. No, that's one of his. That's one of his uh, people. I think I don't think that was him. Being yeah, oh, that, that that's was not him. Oh, okay. yeah, that's one of the the survivors, the kids. Oh, okay. It might have been a longer one that I saw where they, they brought. I saw a stretcher that they brought out. He had committed. That, that was one of his proud boys. I got. Yeah, and there, there's <laughs> oh. this part that they didn't. They they referenced it. They didn't show by any way, shape, or form. What happens is you commit seppuku. Um, which I'm yeah. glad they didn't show because I was ready to throw oh, up. Oh, God, it is gross. Point. But you commit seppuku, <laughs> yeah. you you stab yourself. You you, you basically disembowel yourself. Is, the, right. the, yeah. the stomach is kind of the soul in Japanese culture. And then yeah. the reason that you hand the sword to your to the other person, the, the person chops off your head. So right. when they brought his body out, it was both disemboweled and there was no head to it. Yeah. Um, so you probably actually drag the knife across the stomach and then up. So you can really just like, let those guts fall out. Holy, oh God. And then, yeah. and then, you, and then you're sitting there and you're like, come on, dude. Come on. I want it. My head, my head needs to. And then the person, you know. I'm not um, dead enough yet. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, there's a few seconds there that are going to be incredibly painful. If they don't take the head right off. Like, yeah, you, know, you can probably live with your guts spilled out like that for a while. If, if, uh, you know, you get, the I right do every day on Twitter. 
Hey! <laughs> so this is the final oh. tip I'm gonna I'm gonna show oh. before we go to, uh, you know, the old letterbox one-liners. <gasps> Yay, um, letterbox one-liners! Yes. And I, you know, we'll I talk about thought, it more and more. I wouldn't have thought they were <laughs> as good as they are. Uh, I'll say that because yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. This, this it was this it was, was a, a treat. Sometimes it's like, more work than others. I don't talk about it, but sometimes it's definitely like I'm putting the work in on this one. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're really <laughs> suffering with the seppuku of uh, letterbox seppuku. <laughs> letterbox seppuku. Yeah. Just absolute torture. <laughs> All right. So this Worst. is the last one I'm going to play. This is about the the concept of seppuku. Duck Cabot. We're talking about the fact that he had all these contradictions in him, that he was a functioning schizophrenic, you yeah. said, and that, and that he uh, programmed this death and talked about sex and and uh, death as being together. Yeah, I mean, I mean this notion that... Intertwined that, that and romantic the, ideas. The real harmony of, you know, uh, all these contradictions uh, can be harmonized then at the moment of death. Yeah. And, and in fact, the very form of death, which of uh, Stabaku, is in a way so delightfully metaphorically male and female. Because you know it's both mm -hmm. you know you're you're playing both both halves of the relationship, uh, oh. and and in the Orient, the stomach being the, the soul, and yeah. uh, uh, he 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 really got his you know his motor cooking on all these kinds of elaborate metaphors, and uh, drove himself into uh, uh, you know going down a progressively narrow corridor till finally the only light at the end of the corridor was this uh, oft rehearsed death. As a child, he. He always was obsessed with pictures of knights dying in bloody armor and uh, yeah. the, uh, the saint with the arrows yeah. in him. With he posed, he posed as interestingly and, uh, Western projections. Yeah, yeah. The character you created in Taxi Driver, played by De Niro, certainly had a dark side. Mm -hmm. Presumably influenced a presidential assassin. Uh -huh. uh, is there a uh, Hmm. What am I trying to say? Well, let me is just, there a let me, strange... let, let me let you off. Does this mean anything to you at all? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I'm one of, these, one of these people that, that believes art actually works. Art works? It works. That hmm. uh, you can purge certain antisocial uh, feelings uh -huh. through uh, either watching or creating a surrogate. And uh, so that by writing about a taxi driver or seeing one, you don't have to be one. I, I actually believe you know art has a social function in that way. Uh, for Mishima, it didn't. Every time he created a successful fantasy, uh, a book, a play, and it was vastly popular, all it did was drove his fantasy needs up to a yet a higher level, and it, they became more and more hyperbolic. And eventually, they took over his private life. Uh, mm. This is this is fascinating because uh, here was a, 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 a extremely good writer and uh, very famous and, and very celebrated, but for whom art really wasn't working. It was only making his problems greater. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that, but that was certainly one of the things that attracted me to this film. This is almost <clears throat> a strained parallel, but one of the classic defenses of pornography is that it leads to masturbation <clears throat> on the part of the people who buy yeah. it, and therefore it presents, prevents them from committing mm -hmm. sex crimes for, at times, and they've proved mm -hmm. this and so forth. So this would be an example of the case where this exception, where it didn't work, it only made it worse. And yeah, I, I, I hate, I'd hate to do that. It's not a good parallel, but yeah, it's... Yeah, I hate a, to do that parallel because pornography has now veered off into an area that, that is unforgivable. Uh, un I mean... What's that? I mean, just the, the degree to which pornography has gone, it's the whole oh, other discussion, yeah. is, is masturbation yeah. is no longer enough. 
Uh, but an interesting point is that in Japan, Japanese pornography, and that especially favored by Japanese yeah. high school girls, yes. is a very beautiful young male character who dies a bloody death while still yes. in the prime of yes. his yes. life. They are very, very much enamored of, yeah. of, of violence in there. Hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. There you go. Exactly what I thought the guy who uh, wrote Taxi Driver would look like. <laughs> it's exactly I mean, those glasses are you know, just sitting there at the chair. <laughs> just glasses like, alone, yeah. That's, that's it. You know, that's it. Yeah. It's like, look, if a, president, if a presidential candidate's going to die, they're going to die. You know? Okay. Is uh, that, raging Bull, too. from 85? Yeah. also wrote Raging Bull. Yeah, the interview is from right when the movie, you know, directly after it came out. So I would assume yeah. so. Probably the press store to promote it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was right. Yeah. So, so I find it, I find it really interesting though, the concept of like this as somebody, and I, I don't know how true. I mean, I, I'd assume it was, but like you know, the more characters he kind of creates, the 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 closer he gets to this thing where he needs to have a more um, uh, a more violent uh, you know character set next time. I, I find that very interesting that Paul Schrader kind of made that point. Um, yeah, the the art well, is it, it's not cathartic it's, to him, right? Like it, it, it wasn't enough anymore. Exactly, and that kind of goes back to what I was, I guess, what I was trying to drive at when in the scene where he's driving by and he sees like his book, uh, the display in the in the window, and it, he's there, and it's like he it just it just it's nothing to him, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and and like it, it's almost as if he's like somebody else because it's just that's not what matters to him at that point. That's not what's giving him the catharsis. That's not what's giving him the uh, the artistic. Uh, a hit of dopamine or or whatever whatever it is that when we create and we are pleased with the results and we get what we want out of it and uh, you hear that you hear it talked about a lot with pornography where um you know someone is exposed at a young age to like violent violent pornography or something and then as time goes on they're desensitized to it and they need more and more of the violence and they talk about it in the interview like to you know to come or whatever you know what i mean but like you never think about it with artists where artists create art and whatever satisfaction they I, I think about it all the time and I've literally made records about it but yeah yeah most of them people are not thinking yeah about well it. I mean I in most conversations about <laughs> yeah, it. normal people who work to the extra <laughs> panel right now yeah you could just stop at normal people Andy it's fine <laughs> well I feel like that's that's hmm. it's a lot it's a lot to chew on and that's when I think that's kind of cool but, yeah but I think that oh well what I was thinking was yes I agree with you but also like I think that's like the mental health part of it too coming in. Yeah. It's like he can't he can't like avoid. find a catharsis in yeah. the creating of this art. He feels like he has to like go farther and farther and farther with it. Well, yeah. Also, I think part of it's like the alienation of capitalism where he's feeling like he's not being able to change anything and he's seeing everything change around him and he's supposed to be the most important voice. And, and he 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 sees mm. like the you know, um I guess he never read any theory or anything like that because he, he decides, you know, the best thing to do is make Japan great again and bring back Hirohito as, uh, you know, his man. Um, I feel like you're doing Reddit comments in Mishima right now, but yeah, I, 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 I get what you're going Yeah, with. yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's not that far off because, like, like there is also a one-to-one -one, uh, Recruiting would have been so easy if he had read it. Yes. Just naking yeah, the population. He would have more than four like... guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He definitely would have more than four dudes hanging out with him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he had a whole, he had like a nice little mess hall going on. I mean, then he seemed to only, he brought the four that he trusted the most. But they, yeah, he would have had more diehards if he had a Reddit. Uh, <laughs> you you know, 
<laughs> if he had a flag too, he could have had his own. You know, four chan. If he was on four chan, just just yeah. imagine what he could do. Mm-hmm. He could really radicalize so many more people. Are we doing letterbox bit now? Is that what's I'm happening? Ready. Yep. That, that's let's do it. Yeah, let's radicalize people with letterbox. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, letterbox is, of course, a place for film a bottom up democracy where everybody gets to have their say. Not just the Siskels and, and the Eberts and and whatnot. Uh, I wonder what everybody... they thought about this movie. By the way, I I didn't check, but it was uh, Ebert loved it. Ebert thought it was awesome. I read and... his thing about it. Yo, everyone had such a everyone had such a pronounced chin in this movie. I fucked with it. <laughs> was that a verbatim quote? <laughs> Everybody gets to have their say. A bottom-up democracy where people get to opine about films at, with, and to each other. Uh, of course, the ones that uh, tend to float to the top or uh, at least get the most discussion and conversation are the ones that either are uh, being funny, oblique, sparking a conversation. Uh, for each one of the movies that we do on here on Movie Night Extravaganza, I comb the review archives and pull the ones that strike my fancy, and then we throw them on the screen and talk about them. And that is the bit. These are the letterbox one-liners for Mishima. Eleven four parts. Great movie, but guys, that was a weird choice for a Friday night hangout movie. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, yeah. who are I your friends? I can't imagine watching this with anybody but myself. Like, I, you know, I, I think it's anybody but Troy. <laughs> it, it makes me feel like the time in college we decided we're going to watch Seven Samurais, the Friday Night Hangout movie. Well, and it started not, at midnight. This is for Samurai. Wow. It's not lost on me that we're broadcasting Friday night, by the way. So this is a Friday Night Hangout movie for us right now. So thanks, guys. Yeah, but we're we're I'm a little different. We're we're, we're just built different. different. We're different. Yeah. We're not like <laughs> Troy. Do, Do not watch while high. Watch while high. I'm going to purposefully get super high and watch it again then just because of yeah. this one. F you, Yagamama. Yeah. You're weak. <laughs> yeah. You're doing it wrong. Yo, I watched this high and I was just like, we got to make Japan great again. Guys. <laughs> Bisexual lighting. <laughs> it's it's perfect also with, with the Golden Temple uh, Ooh, yeah. thing going on. It 100% is. And this is like, what, 85 that came out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Bisexual well, in the Kyoko's house, uh, those those shots with well, him and the lady, like, yeah. it was like Blade Runner-ish. Well, no, I mean, Definitely it actually bisexual is, lighting. Uh, yeah. bisexual lighting was used heavily in uh, uh, freaking um, Take a Shot, uh, Tokyo Drifter. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Stargate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, no, Stargate never used uh, bisexual light as far as I can remember. Star- Stargate <laughs> reboot with bisexual lighting only. I'm also, uh, hoping you could work the, it in somewhere. The Runaway Horses one. Um, that you know, the, the lighting was kind of crazy in that, but like there were times where it did seem like it was kind of doing that same lighting scheme because you know they were doing it as if it was on the stage. Yeah. Yep. Mishima needed to just chill out a little bit. It's <laughs> 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 pretty good. <laughs> that one. That, that one. That one made me laugh the hardest, by the way. Yeah, I mean Finnegan's are basically basically made out of chill, apparently. I don't know. I don't I don't know the person. Maybe Mishima should have gotten super high before this movie started. <laughs> someone someone just introduces him to weed and he's like, Man, I, I was I was tripping. I, I was tripping. My bad. We don't the Emperor the Emperor, he was oh, fuck it. Although know. has Kanye tried weed? <laughs> you Kanye. do not. No. 
You do not, under any circumstances, gotta hand it to him. <laughs> Chris H. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I thought he was making some good points about that. Yeah, you gotta hand it to him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the first time that quote was used, I think it was around Al Qaeda. Uh, when they said, oh, you, like, Al-Qaeda, you do not under any circumstances. You gotta hand it to I think it was a drill tweet, which is hilarious. My trolls and detractors all have gross mental issues. They love drama and are jealous of my precious <laughs> army man blood. Hashtag truth. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. I am wow. I am blown away by the fact that drill, number one. Drill's on Letterboxd and is posted maybe ten times, and this is for, like, one of them. So... But, uh, but no, I, I think the I think the original meme you do not under any circumstances have to have handed to him is a drill tweet and it's around it's Al Qaeda. The, 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 is it, uh, you might be right. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> this I, review is from 2013. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's why it's funny that it's basically in like uh, you know 45 voice for that. That like. <laughs> oh wait, but you can you set what day you well, watched it. Watched. So maybe the review yeah. is later. I don't. I mean, but he I don't just know. watched can, it in get, 2013. Can we get our researchers on that? <laughs> See if Drill will tweet us back about it. We got researchers. That would that would be the most astounding moment of this show beyond John Barber berating Forrest for running his show. <laughs> John Barber <laughs> berating me for having a show. Yeah. <laughs> I could have fixed him. <laughs> that's a that's a woman, isn't it? Or Jason, a female person. It could be Jason. Jason Buttigieg. Dear Mister, dear Mister Putin. Did you guys see that video of the woman that was like that was doing the thing? I haven't watched it no. on yet. I just read the subtitles. Oh, oh so God. so there's a video that someone released yesterday. I don't know what celebrity it was. They claim it was a celebrity. I've never seen them before. But it was like, dear Mr. Putin, if I was your mother, you would have been so loved. And, I, you know, I feel like this is the same thing. Aww. I feel like you could do that about Mishima. It, it was almost poetic, too. Yeah, like, Mishima like, definitely needed to be loved better. It was better. poetic. It rhymed. Yes. It was three minutes of some lady rhyming. Astounding and visually expressive biopic about a man who realized that ultimately he was horny for death. <laughs> it's true but we campbell with that yeah that's that's just, that is literally just true that isn't funny yeah. it's just, it's just true yeah no it was all about the penetration at the end by the way i was wrong so any world the original, everybody the original drill tweet is issuing correction on a previous post of mine regarding the terror group isil you do not under any circumstances gotta hand it to him ah there you go yeah we regret the error <laughs> <laughs> Moral biopic should end in seppuku. How do you say it? Seppuku? Seppuku. Seppuku. More biopic should end in seppuku. Colin yeah. Bryce. No, I, I agree. I, I, I would have liked, uh, yeah, like what, what's, a, what's a crappy biopic, right? I would Think have liked any... the, uh, I would have liked both Sid and Nancy to end in seppuku, but I would have also enjoyed if uh, Gary Oldman's Winston Churchill uh, biopic had ended with Winston Churchill going, oh! <laughs> yeah, that, would, that would have made that movie much more watchable. I agree. Yeah. Oh, Stalin is Stalin is really taking over things now that World War II has ended. I guess it's time for me to commit seppuku. Let me do some ritual suicide. <laughs> you love the Golden Pavilion, then you burn the Golden Pavilion. Ben poetic. That's a poetic one. True fact stated. That's kind of the point of the story, I think, but you know. 
<laughs> George Lucas produced this. His only note was, can Yoda be in this? <laughs> for an extra few million dollars maybe yeah maybe, maybe they get frank oz to play to, to voice his uh guts whenever he rips him out yeah. dude i feel like there's i feel like there's so many oh, like mishima quotes that you could have you could have had with with yoda you know mm-hmm. oh yeah mm-hmm. a, a, a muppet remake of mishima life in four chapters but like uh yeah with, uh, with yoda and yoda is even yoda. in present freaking condition Yo- the army Yoda has some serious poetic shit. The samurai. Mm. Yo, Yoda got jacked. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, someone's like, Yo, Yoda, you're looking a little flabby. And he's like, <laughs> never, never say that again to me. You must not. <laughs> exactly. Google.com. Has Philip Glass ever played Coachella? Yes. Fran Hopner. <laughs> yes, Fran. I can't believe we've gone this long and not mentioned the score, which is incredible. It is. I was yeah. blown away. I was oh, expecting good. that. <laughs> so that's why I threw was, this in. Was, I think it was equally um, ambitious and like, and I don't know. I, I had a word for it earlier that, well, I guess cinematic is the perfect word, but like equally ambitious and cinematic for the, the like parts of the movie that it, it kind of rose at. Right. Like it is hauntingly beautiful too. Like, like, yeah, just, uh, yeah, the, the 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 way the kind of like Mishima himself, like he's a he's a handsome <laughs> guy. Like it kind of feels like his entire life is hauntingly beautiful. Like it's true. I don't know, man. Maybe I got too high before watching. <laughs> 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 All right, you ready for the last one? You you really bring it on. The, Number one, I, I, I put it. I put it in the order you wanted, and this one is going to fucking kill me. So I wanted oh. to. Take a break. You ready? Number one, Mishima, Life in Four Chapters, Letterboxd Reviews. Let's go, Forrest. Killing yourself to own the libs. (laughs) Yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) On on the nose. Yep. Just like what Kanye would do. Just like just like Getting a little close to home there. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the Letterboxd Reviews for Mishima. Please follow Moving Extravaganza on Letterboxd, which is ostensibly for us. I, of course, am Kona Neutron. Uh, J. Andy World also on uh, Letterboxd. And the wonderful Erica Strout as well. Uh, follow all of us, uh, please. Film reviews are great. Opinions are great. You would have commit suicide? Okay, I shouldn't read the, the bottom. Uh, and I think that's it. I can't well, listen to that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not, but now I'm thinking Mishima. about Mishima, because I am the one that pitched like the Mishima remake, but with Yoda. So clearly, there would have to be an ending to it. Anyway, what a box place for film. Pulls out the lightsaber, goes to stick it through the cloth, <laughs> he just disappears. His clothes fall to the ground. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it would be a little different. Wouldn't it? Oh, anyway, yeah. Andy, to be fair, Andy. to be fair, you wouldn't have to actually cut off the head if you wanted to do uh, lightsabers. You could just. It's far more efficient, really. Andy, take it away, please. With the yeah, stuff. now that we're, we're watching this live on Twitch, make sure that you subscribe. If you happen to have an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe for free. That helps us out great. Um, uh, uh, if you're watching this later on YouTube, uh, please you know do all the YouTube things. Hit that bell. Hit the like. <laughs> hit the subscribe. Um, hit the, that the- bell like Mashima hit his stomach with that knife. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Ah! Yeah, like, <laughs> and just like 
<laughs> and, and, just like, and just like Mishima, you're going to want to commit seppuku when you see how many videos we post. That's right. <laughs> um, and oh, uh, while you're at it, if you want to continue supporting us, we have a Patreon. Uh, if you join our Patreon, you get special things yes. like this upcoming Wednesday, you're going to have bonus commentary for Ran after uh, we finish our This Is Revolution episode. Yes, for those that can't yeah. get enough of Andy World talking. Yes. All right. Well, um, we're going to go to final thoughts right now. I mean, the final thought that you'd have committing seppuku. Uh, Erica, <laughs> let's hear. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's real first. final thoughts. <laughs> Better uh, me first than me too. Go ahead. Wow. I don't even... I don't, I'm just I'm still flabbergasted by this whole thing. I, I don't even really know what to say about it. I, I really loved the visual. I feel like I feel like Paul Schrader did a fantastic job. He chose great folks to work on it, like all super impressive filmmaking. But as far as Mishima himself, uh, I'm I'm like still like I, I don't know about this guy. I'm not sure. It's fine. It's a really interesting movie. <laughs> And I, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about him now that I know. Uh, oh, now I'm reading the comments again. Don't get stuck in the comments, Erica. <laughs> Don't read the comments. It's a good life ethos, really. Yeah. Yeah, and I do it all the time. It's really dumb. Um, no, but Charlie this will is be fantastic. You just give Charlie more power making. every time you do that, by the way. You just give him more power. No, he grows more comment. powerful every comment. Oh, was it? Okay. I'm looking at the private chat, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just stay with the elite. It'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's. I'm done with my final thoughts. No, I'm, I walked all <laughs> over it. No, have, have, have more final thoughts, Erica, please. No, I just was, I mean, I don't feel like I have anything very poignant to say about it other than what I've already said. But uh, just that I, I love the film and the filmmaking and the, and the, the craft of it all. But I... I had to be talked into enjoying the subject of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a hard movie to really pitch to Friday night party movie really is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and something that we didn't really talk about. I mean, we talked, we touched on it briefly, but like the fact that the violence in it is kind of cut from it until the end. Right. Like that, that, that kind of, I, I don't know what you guys were thinking for the ending. Um, but it, it kind of like, I was like, I thought 50, 50, either he maybe wouldn't end up actually committing seppuku or I was like, cause I didn't, I didn't research him in, until after I watched it. I was like, I'm going to watch this and not want to know the ending of this. Cause I assume the ending is going to be like the end of his life. So I, I was kind of 50, 50 going, well, is he going to just say like, Oh, well I lied to them. I never wanted to kill myself anyway. Or was he going to say like, you know, at, at the end of it, it was going to be like a, a different thing. They were just going to cut to black and not show you what happened. Like, what were they going to do? And the fact that they show you all the violence at the end, almost like he's, I mean, he it's like the last minute of the film. That's what's so yeah. crazy. It's like the last minute. It didn't feel like a big build though. Like through the film, I didn't personally yeah. feel like there was a big build up to it, but like I, I was actually one other quick thought before I forget. I was actually sort of on the fence about, I half expected him to decide not to commit seppuku at yeah. the end because of the reaction of the crowd i was like oh he might be like embarrassed and then he's gonna go and be like this is a terrible idea i'm gonna go i'm just gonna go home now See, that's, like, that's uh that's he was western. american he would have yeah that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, western, that's, western that's probably why i thought thinking. that 
because be, Japan, I'll write on my Tumblr about this later. Yeah. <laughs> in Japan, seppuku is is a moment of shame. So yeah. the fact that everyone kind of booed him, he oh. would be fully shamed, and he would be like, "No, now I ha- kind of have to go through with it." In America, we get uh, booed, and we'd be like, "Oh, this really didn't do much." Let, let me like the Trump version of this would be like, yeah. "Oh, I guess I just have to go home. No one was listening <laughs> to me." Where the phrase yeah. "fall on the sword" kind of comes from, yeah. uh, you know, like like if somebody screws up. They take responsibility of it. They get, uh, you know, fired. They fall on the sword. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same kind of I idea. Just, I guess I it just goes just, to show you how little I really understand about Japanese culture. I would have just gone home, but I guess I'm just built different. Oh, <laughs> uh, got to the emperor. We'd have become friends. He would have seen me on TV and been like, "This guy's right." <laughs> like somebody else exactly. gets me. Uh, look, so I'm the one that suggested this movie. I think it's an absolutely fascinating, I, I guess we can have to call it a pseudo biopic, right? It's a narrative tale. Um, it's a controversial protagonist slash main character. You know, he's an author, actor, director, political activist, but kind of like always left wanting and searching for more. Um, it blurs the line between fact and fiction. And I think it makes for an incredible story in a movie because of that, because it interweaves stuff with his actual life along with stuff from his actual art and does so in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, I think it's absolutely remarkable. um, And the harmony within it is extraordinary considering it's such a bizarre winding tale to a certain degree. I mean, again, to be clear, Mm -hmm. he was one of Japan's most famous authors. Like he was basically. No, he was Japan's most famous author. He was. Yeah. I mean, but, but, Almost made it through. Uh, the, <laughs> like, think of like if Hemingway was like, it, you know, into the founder of the Proud Boys or something, right? It'd be like that level of of of, of uh, yeah. notoriety. Didn't he? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, like, I mean, the, the point of fact is that, uh, you know, ultimately Wanda was like a return to like imperialist, imperialistic traditionalism, right? Which is sort of like, yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of crazy because it's it, it's like you, you look at him he's such a smart dude in so many ways and it's just like that's the thing that's like oh he thought that was gonna be the thing you know uh but yeah paul schrader directing incredible 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 three times philip glass soundtrack uh the set design uh just extraordinary just a beautiful beautiful film and I, i'm really glad we discussed mm-hmm. it because i mean i feel like we could go just like the movie i feel like we could go another like three parts after this uh, <laughs> and not even like scratch the surface and that's what i love about it and this is this is why i do the criterion challenges so i see stuff that i wouldn't necessarily uh, initially think of and uh, i thought it was going to be a completely different kind of movie and i absolutely adore it in all its totality i mean it's a it's a moment of incredible uh, elasticity for a culture that hadn't really changed in centuries, right? Like yeah. it, it's this moment where people are do feel like something is incredibly wrong. Which I mean, if you're, I mean, grinded into gear on full gear or whatever on 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 capitalist realism, you know what I mean? Like that this is kind of the only way forward. This is the only way to redeem your culture after uh, centuries of, you know, um, at least Western countries saying, no, you got it wrong. You've been futile. You've fucked this all up. Of course, there's going to be competing philosophies on how you should move forward. And the most, um, I think the most popular that wasn't this version of capitalism uh, competing philosophy is obviously Marxism, but there's a lot of um, differentiated ideas about what that would entail. Like, is this, uh, do you have to kind of create this capitalist society and then transition as Marx said to um, communism after that? 
or is there some way to change this um, now and really make this into a, a, a socialist society? Um, you know, a lot of young people felt like there was something that had to change. But whenever there's something that has to change, there's always going to be a reactionary force. And his reactionary force was, no, we just have to go back to the way it was 30 years ago when there was an emperor that made all the decisions for us and we're back into this feudal society. And obviously his vision of that is the 1600s. You know what I mean? Like, but but it is uh, the same hierarchy that would have ruled before the war. So he's kind of making this case slowly throughout his work. Um, as the society kind of gets kicked up into this, uh, you know, high gear, and he's not giving everybody his uh, vision of it all at once. And at the same time, he's their only internationally renowned writer. Yeah. Um, so, so like, I think that plays a lot of role into it, right? There's not two voices of, of Japanese society going, well, I like this these parts of it, but I don't like these parts. And another person saying, well, I like none of it. Let's, let's transition back to being a fucking samurai society. There's just one guy on an international stage. And then every time they ask the guy, is there any political implication to this? He's like, oh, no. No, there's not. There's no political implication. Meanwhile, in Japan, where no one is actually looking to him for that information, he's like, no, we need to be samurai again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, like, you know, like the letterbox review said, right? Like more biopic should end with the uh, seppuku. You know, it, it's, like, <laughs> it, it's not something you normally see, especially in a shameless society and, and world that we live in now where it's you know that that's part of the uh the act of being famous is just doing something incredibly like shameful and it gets you the clicks and the hate clicks and so on and so on but yeah and, and we kind of have people that transition to a national stage even if they are batshit crazy and it doesn't reflect on our entire culture to the rest of the world right like right. you can have an american celebrity go to another like country have a fucking schizophrenic episode and then you'll be like oh well that's that person and the rest yeah, of the that's just dennis like, rodman yeah you know not a big deal like <laughs> so yeah no like literally that like you, you have, have to, to go there and then but like but if you had but if you only had that celebrity on a world stage only had that celebrity representing your culture as you're kind of in this moment of full transition you can see how uh society itself would kind of close ranks around this person and be like yeah. this is our guy this is the only guy that we have doing this so this is our guy and he goes yep. on TV, like Dennis Rod, like it's Dennis Rodman, but he speaks like fluent French and like is incredibly uh, lucid and like not like his brain is not infected by syphilis at all in, in your mind. You know what I mean? Because you're sitting there and you're like, you're like, oh, this is Dennis Rodman. Like, this is the guy we need to have our, our you know, our whole thing be around. Look at this. There's like a, a Western journalist, French journalist, American journalist, all of them really like just being like, wow, this is such a, a, a smart, lucid individual and you're like well i think we have to protect this guy like your generals are like your generals as he comes in and takes control of a fucking barrack are like no wait don't kill yourself we still we still need you to yeah yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> i can fix him yeah. and and you you would assume that if maybe i mean there's a chance that i mean maybe not based on the actual clip of it that we watched but based on the movie like there might be a chance that like he would have just kind of been forgiven and they would have put him in psychiatric care for a little bit, not told anyone about it. Yeah. He'd be back and medicated and whatever else. But uh, Andy. Yeah, I, I really uh, think, uh, you know, kind of thinking about this film for a bit. Um, Cause I really didn't watch it until like a couple hours before we came on. Um, uh, but. Uh, Grammy for the test. Yeah, I know. It's, it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, Andy it's not an interesting story. <laughs> Um, but, but uh, anyways, the, uh, um, which one? No. <laughs> Stargate. 
No. Um, All right. You did. <laughs> I was going to mention. Everybody uh, take a drink. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, I was going to throw it in there just for Erica. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, yeah, I was uh, really <laughs> wanted to mention the, the, you know, like, like, you know, you're mentioning that this is an odd film, but it's really, it really is very much like the films of uh, uh, Saijin Suzuki, who, who did Branded to Kill and Tokyo. I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which if you've not seen his movies, he does, you know, like he, he's, he does more movies, but they're very abstract and weird and, and. Like, like, um, I can't even explain like, uh, Brandon no, to good, kill. Good, it's good like, thing you're talking. That's good. It's, it's about assassins, but like, it's All also right. like, basically the whole movie is just like, um, loads of violence surrounded by like sex and rice sniffing. Um, huh. rice sniffing, just like the parties that I used to go to. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just like, he, he's just like, cook some rice and bring it to me. And, and it's just like sitting there in the kitchen going, yes. <laughs> Just like the parties I used to go to. Yeah, it's I. The movie's insane, but it's it's great. It's beautiful. It's got like weird butterflies animated in it. Hey Andy, um, how do you feel about this movie? I was gonna say, hey, thoughts on this movie or just <laughs> just a completely movie? You know, I, I'm setting up like 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 the, oh, the, the, like, the you know, I can't wait for the payoff. Structure of of um the Suzuki films, ah. you know, actually does uh, have a lot of uh, what it borrowed from. Which is why I was expecting it to be like a, a Quentin Tarantino esque take on uh, uh, Japanese films. However, there was something uh, in it. The question I had asked whenever I, you know, at the beginning of the episode, I, I'm, uh, uh, you know, like, why did a white guy kind of do this? You know, you know, who, who you know, which I, I don't think I actually asked that exactly, but, but I kind of hinted at it, I believe. Um, but like, like, why, why, you know, uh, as an outsider voice, being able to to um, draw from you know deep cuts of Japanese cinema and and to tell the story that I don't think any of the directors in Japan at the uh, you know time of uh, you know this movie coming out could have done. Well, so they also were just completely embarrassed by this being a story. It was yeah. too controversial, yeah. right? He was yeah, no, exactly. That's why it had to be yeah. an outsider. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they yeah they were too Great close channel. to it or something. Yeah. yeah, and and you know there's the the thought of him being an outsider in terms of like you know, culturally, but there's also Paul Schrader as like the crazy person director, right? Like that the did create someone like Travis Bickle. Like, you know, he, yeah. he does make films about crazy fascists. I mean, nationalism is not the only thing that really defines characters, right? Like there's all these different things. And you can say, um, I mean, there there's a lot of people that had the take that like, this is Paul Schrader's ultimate, this is the ultimate Paul Schrader character. Like this is somebody that really uh, had the machismo to it, had like the... Yeah the kind of fascist element to it that, you know, kind of Travis Bickle had like the, you know, not, not that Paul Schrader had those politics, but like that is the kind of character that he does like to explore the psyche of. Well, I, also I, I, he was just the guy who was the most persistent about it. Right. The like, he wanted to tell the he story. He had to yeah, like right. keep working at it to get the story because he had to get the rights. And I think they'll, they also like thinking about, um, Schrader being interested in like how how a person's life choices, their compulsions, like lead to um, unintended consequences. Totally, and just if if I can answer to the point of taxi driver, I think the fact the, the pseudo fascism of it, I think, is just sort of like a character sidecar side baggage to it. Like I think Paul Schrader is just fascinated in a certain type of individualist. 
of which Mishima is absolutely like a, like a paragon of, and not saying he's like advocating for or against, but like for whatever reason, that dude is very able to get in the head of that style of person, right? Or very yeah. for it. He's, yeah, he's also, yeah. I mean, even in, in like cat people or whatever that he had, wrote, like, people, yeah. like so even that. in that he had a Mishima book on, on the, on the night. Yeah. In that. So it's like, he, he was kind of enamored by this or, you know, at least fascinated by this author uh long before this movie ever was mm -hmm. released who who is let's be clear pretty fascinating like it, that's what makes it an interesting movie no, 100%. Whether you, as whether you're, you're bought I mean, into his own thing kind of you know? often are like there yeah. often are elements to to like why does someone get that as an ideology like they, there are insane uh fascinating elements to it and this person more than anything because this is a culture that was ramped up like this is a culture that had been like this. Like, I don't think uh, Mishima necessarily could have existed in, in previous or current Japanese culture. Like this is someone who was a hundred percent of the time that he's representing. Mm -hmm. But uh, listen, my, my final thought is somewhere there must be a higher principle that reconciles art and act. <laughs> Thank you.